Hey, buddy, why the long face? Christmas is coming up, but I can't buy my loved ones meet and greet sessions with celebrities due to COVID restrictions. I don't know what to do. Well, hold on. Don't give up. Have you ever heard about Cameo? Cameo? What's that? The new website that lets you pick from a list of over 1 million real celebrities who will record a video greeting according to your specifications. Here, look. Wow, look, they have Jeremy Renner. That's right, it's Cameo. Simply select your favorite celebrity with our patented celebrity selection software and we'll match you with the A, B, or C lister of your dreams. Look, golf player Tiger Woods. Yeah, and the Slim Jim guy. Eat me. Cameo has practically everyone, from Papa Roach to Uncle Cracker, Joke Smith Dennis Miller, and even Andy Dick. Ooh, a John Belushi impersonator. That's just Jim Belushi. Enough Belushis for the whole family. Plus Gary Busey, Melissa Joan Hart, Paula Deen, Gary Busey, and more. Hey, Mark Summers will say fuck for $10. Ooh, they have Ken Bone. George Went. John Ratzenberger. George George Went Went and John Ratzenberger. Ratzenberger. We've got Santa Claus, Thomas the Tank Engine, The Beatles, The Easter Bunny. Ooh, Mrs. Doubtfire. A 94-year-old Sidney Poitier. Billy Crystal. Kevin Sorbo. Dean Kane. A fucking dog. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Cameo also has an extensive library of celebrities nobody's ever heard of. Try it today at c colon backslash my documents backslash cameo backslash index.html. Welcome, welcome, everyone out there on the internet. You are listening to Guaranteed Audio, episode 20. Uh, I am Ryan Murphy. I'm Neil Ciceriga. And I'm Kevin James. Thank you to our patrons and everyone else on Earth who I consider potential patrons. Eight billion patrons. Can you imagine? Yes. We wouldn't have to work for like 10 years. You can find our content, of course, at guaranteedvideo.com or listen right here from guaranteedaudio.com or from our RSS, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get y'all podcasts. You're probably listening on YouTube, right? Yeah. That's where they all go. That's the (laughs) easy. All the comments are going to be like, how did he know? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't checked our iTunes metrics ever. I know we have some good reviews over on iTunes, but. Oh, really? Ryan, you have an iPhone. I do. That's interesting. Yeah, let's stop everything and check right now. (laughs) Well, to everyone, we're going to, for those of you for whom episode 20 is your first time with Guaranteed Audio, thank you for joining us. And we are skipping what is normally our first segment of Media Current and jumping straight into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Kevin, where did two-thirds of Guaranteed Audio go a week and change ago? Yeah, like a week and a half ago, Ryan and I got to go out to New York City and attend the red carpet premiere. Uh, for the new Ghostbusters movie. And uh, yeah, at Ryan's point, we usually do a few like segments up front. We talk about other media we've been consuming, what else we've been up to in our lives. But there's a good chance people are just clicking around right now for reviews of this movie or discussion about the movie. Um, you know, I think this is probably going to come out the second weekend the film is out, where I think it's probably going to... Yeah, make... that's the, that's when it's clearly the, at, the, at its height. You know? Honestly, like... <laughs> you I, think? I, I think so, yeah. Um, I, I think um, it's a family film. It's going to attract that crowd that's like done with Turkey day and they just want to oh. go to the movies. Right. Yeah. Good point. The word of mouth about the movie has been pretty positive. Like the, whatever the, the, the what do they call it? The audience scores on, mm-hmm. like, on like cinema score and rotten tomatoes. Like people seem to really like it. Critics are kind of divided. Um, sure. but, um, yeah, Ryan and I got to go to the premiere. Um, a friend of a friend of mine works at Sony and, um, 
extended the invite. So I took an Amtrak out from uh, Boston. I was working in the city that day and around two, three o'clock, I just hopped out. Ryan beat me to the punch. Ryan just drove from the Cape, right? Yep. Yeah. We got to see the new Ghostbusters movie in New York City with the Ghostbusters. Uh, It was cheaper and easier to park in Manhattan than in Boston. I'm becoming a big Amtrak guy. I go to New York a lot for work and, uh, this is so boring. But yes, I prefer taking the train to flying at this point. I do too. The story goes, Ryan got there before me. We had our names on the list and I got off the train. I immediately took a lift over to the theater. And when I ran over to the screening, because I was running a hair late, Ryan was waiting for me like right next to the red carpet. And uh, yeah, like Jason Reitman, the director was there. J.K. Simmons, Paul Rudd, yada, yada, yada. But more importantly, <laughs> the Ghostbusters were there which is awfully cool. The extreme Ghostbusters or the originals? The OGs. Cool. Um, so the gorilla and like the, the old dude. <laughs> the sophomore OGs. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, definitely one of those, you know, definitely kind of like a, I'm going to call it a bucket list moment, but definitely like a, you know, I got to shake Bruce Springsteen's hand once and that was one of those things in my head. I'm like, oh, I got to do that. I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And next to that, I will have the memory of standing right next to Ryan, like, like four feet away from Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Ivan Reitman, you know, mm-hmm. right in front of us. And, uh, you know, it definitely, you know, it washed over me like, cool. I have that in my head now. <laughs> I got to, exp- it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's been, people have been saying seeing them together is like seeing the Beatles reunite for a certain type of audience member. And it, it, was, it was, it was, it was very special. It was very exciting for me to see those guys, you know? Yeah. Chemistry gods. They have really good chemistry, those four guys. And obviously, they're down a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold Ramis passed away seven years ago. 2014, I think he passed 2014, away. 2014, yep. Jeez, yeah. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's uninitiated with Ryan, Neal, and myself, I- I'm a big Ghostbusters guy. Mm-hmm. I think people could probably surmise that if they listen to any of our podcasts or even seen some of the dumb videos I've made on my own over the years. I mean, I would say that like that movie kind of permeates all of our stuff that we make together just because it's a really good example of like kind of spooky co- comedy filmmaking is one of the best examples probably uh, of the eighties. It ages right? very well. Yeah. I'm from, <laughs> I feel like I should have a pitcher of water. Like so in every like three minutes, I just like time my watch to drink water. Cause it's gonna be so hard for me not to just go off on a super long tangent. But um, Ryan, what else happened the night of the premiere before we get into the movie itself? Well, yeah, before we dig in, I want to say uh, something I realized after the fact, which was uh, I caught a cute little video of J.K. Simmons giving bunny ears to Ernie Hudson, and I went, oh, those two guys are friends. They know each other. Uh, good for them. Yeah, one's an Academy Award-winning actor, and the other one gets to hang out with Ernie Hudson. It was pretty cool. And I then thought to myself, because my brain was in a happy place, I saw the Ghostbusters. I'm seeing in New York City with the Ghostbusters. This is fun. My brain was so far removed from the prestige television prison of Oz, where Ernie <laughs> Hudson and J.K. Simmons both had prominent roles of like, oh yeah, Oz. Oh yeah, they that know was each rough. other. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, so that's uh, <laughs> that's probably where the bunny ears joke originates. <laughs> probably on, on Oz. Oz. Yeah. I had a moment while we were on the red carpet, like Paul Rudd's like walking by, and I'm like literally looking around Paul Rudd. <laughs> so like, yeah, cool, whatever, Ant Man. Hey, look, it's the Ghostbusters. And they're singing "Happy Birthday" to Harold Ramis to mm-hmm. a camera crew. They have like that barbershop quartet energy about them. You know, they are like an old rock band getting back together. Yeah. Now it's worth noting, I had a positive experience seeing this movie, 
And it never hurts that the director of the film himself, Jason Reitman, came down to the audience with Kevin, me, and all the other people being just in the seats, in the rows with us and said, thank you for coming. You didn't have to come. Uh, this is a love letter to Ghostbusters, a love letter to fans. And uh, honestly, thank you. I grew up with it too. For me, it was literally my dad. Yeah. Um, but I grew up just like you. It's This is clearly for fans. They weren't fans. Why would I still be making another one? It was a very sincere, unmeasured speech. Mm -hmm. He expressed, hey, you know, these were my favorite movies growing up too. I got to like hang out with these actors, you know, on set while they were filming when I was a kid, extremely young. Uh, and, you know, I had the same thoughts you guys did when I was like seven or eight years old. And they've been in the back of my head forever. And I, when I had the opportunity to make a Ghostbusters movie, you know, I, I thought through what would be fun to see. What's something that we all understand about Ghostbusters, but has never been illustrated in a movie. And that's what I've made here. Mm -hmm. And you see it. You absolutely see it through like, you know, the big action scene. They keep showing in all the promos with the Ecto whipping around town, shooting you know, the, uh, with the, uh, the gunner seat that was never in those movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, actually, that's a good side note of let's of breaking it down into some chewable chunks that we don't choke on. No <laughs> choking. Uh, let's talk about the tech. Let's talk about the look of the tech and what the tech is in the, in this movie. And just so everyone knows, Neil, you saw the movie too. I did, yeah. Yeah, okay. Just, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, obviously I mean, Ryan and I had, obviously not as exciting as being in the I, theater. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it at a small local theater. <laughs> With like uh, mono sound. Yeah, <laughs> which was pretty much uh, just uh, you and me and our friend Joe. And um, that was also a totally fun uh, way to watch it. There was like a family of four, a couple rows behind us. And yeah. You heard them getting into it every now and then. It was cute. It was really cute. <laughs> yeah, really cute. So Ryan, um, you're, what, are you, what are you getting up with the tech? Yeah, let's talk the Ecto One. Don't reinvent the wheel. The yeah. proton packs, the trap. There's adding some new things. And by new, I mean from the toys, yeah. from our collective memory. Yeah. But it didn't have that extreme Ghostbusters sell new toy. Uh, they didn't reinvent the wheel with this stuff. It's familiar, but it's also not tired. There was an interview with Harold Ramis 15 years ago or something. I want to say it was around the time the the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 video game was coming out where someone just asked him, hey, if, if there's ever another Ghostbusters movie, what do you think it's going to be? Is it Ghostbusters 3? Is it a remake? And Harold said, I think it's going to be like Mark Wahlberg and the Ecto is going to fly. And it's, you know, it's going to take place in like Atlanta. Like he was just kind of making fun of how bad popcorn movies have gotten. And that's, I think, what, you know, with the Paul Fag movie, they, they redesigned a lot of the equipment. I was actually there on set. And I got to see the equipment unveiled for the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. Mm -hmm. Paul Fagg was showing it to Ivan Reitman. I have some behind-the-scenes photos of that. It was, I, I just keep weaseling my way into these Ghostbuster uh, movie scenarios. I just like being present there. And I have friends that know I want to be there. I mean, like, the, the 2016 movie was filmed in Boston. Exactly, like, it, exactly. It landed in our backyard. Yeah, but the look of the equipment in that movie was... It, it, it just wasn't as cool. Like, the Ghostbusters equipment from that 84 movie the the people who designed the, everything from the car to the traps to the pke meter they look cool and as to ryan's point don't reinvent it they did weather the proton packs in a fun way like there's like a wooden handle on the front of egon's now that's the whole premise is like all all this equipment is just old now it's been sitting in a barn for, for 40 long. years <laughs> yeah um so like with that restraint i guess on the tech that they were able to unveil in this movie like it's 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 not over the top. They don't have a character who's inventing new stuff actively to like solve problems like in the current problem. Yeah. What they have at their disposal is stuff that's been rotting in a garage for a long time. And it's cool stuff that you didn't get to see in the previous movies, but it's limited. And it's easy, I think, for us to take for granted. Ghostbusters is a property that invented a new vocabulary 
and not just of dialogue. I'm talking like the idea of professional ghost elimination and investigations, you know, that before Ghostbusters, there was no like, it's a vacuum cleaner that sucks up ghosts. You know, it was always <laughs> if Abin Costello or someone dealt with a supernatural problem, they had to get like a magic book or a dagger or something. It doesn't Mickey Mouse use a, a vacuum and that old. Well, you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Ghostbusters had to come up with like, OK, these are like electrical lassos. There's a box that gets sucked into. We have like detectors and stuff. And it's easy for us to take for granted that everyone just understands that. But this movie is clearly designed to bring in children to get what Ghostbusters is. Mm-hmm. So there is a slow burn. Like there's like the first time you see a PKE mirror in the movie, it, it's a, they have to illustrate very quickly. What, what the hell does this thing do? Uh, and it's obviously, you know, it detects supernatural stuff and that's used as a visual signifier across the movie for, Oh, something spooky's happening or there's a ghost present. Uh, so yeah, like they, the new stuff they did with the tech in the movie. Um, and I was thinking about this yesterday. They do in the Ecto, there's a ghost trap, attached to a remote controlled car and the car now the ecto-1 the uh, ambulance they drive around and also has the gunner seat and the ecto now has a police scanner (laughs) and i love that because you didn't need a flashback scene to seeing the ghostbusters inventing this stuff it just naturally it just fits the mold of those characters like oh at some point when they were doing the job they were like you know it'd be really cool if we didn't have to like get out of the car (laughs) <laughs> it'd be really cool if like we're chasing something faster than us maybe we don't want to run maybe it's easier to do it this way and also having a police scanner is a good way to avoid the police the police <laughs> i thought that all the the gear and the, the aesthetic the production of the movie fit the mold perfectly and there was new stuff in it like, like the new ghosts and stuff all felt like they belonged some a little too borrowed you know like the minor yeah, he's kind of the uh, taxi driver yeah he's like he looks like the taxi driver steve There's... johnson made that in the original. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Steve Johnson involved in the new one? I don't all, think or? so. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, I, I guess that's, without without spoiling it, but that is one of the downsides of the movie, I think, is it's a, it's a little bit, there's not enough ghosts. It's, um, I think there's like, I mean, there's... It takes a deliberately long time before you see, like, you know, special effect ghosts on, on camera. Uh, but then they kind of, you know, they finally get to, like, the montage of all of ghosts attacking all over the place and it's literally two ghosts the the opening of the movie has like an evil dead-esque off-camera monster Mm -hmm. you do get a good look at it and what i love about that scene is they did it in camera for the most part they did um dry ice and like backlighting it's pretty cool it's really cool looking and what's great about that is it gives the actor something to react to when um the first ghost of the movie comes in the first monster and then when the special effects team comes in later, when they're doing compositing and computer animated monster, uh, there's a computer animated monster that comes out of that smoke. They have reference lighting. They yeah. know what smoke will look like in that room. It's it's smart. It's like good movie making. I think the best cocktail I've seen of visual effects in the last 10, 15 years was probably Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. It really got the whole use on set puppetry and complemented with CG right. This movie, it doesn't nail it as well because, you know, Jason Reitman's not James Cameron. He's not J.J. Abrams. You know, he's Jason Reitman is a dramatic comedy director. You guys have seen some of his movies, right? Like, Thank You for Smoking and Up in the Air. And, in yeah, the air. I haven't seen nothing too Juno. recent, but yeah. Juno's yeah. great. I, I love uh, Young Adults, my favorite of his. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, 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 yeah. Tell you what, moving on to, yeah, we've gone from tech into, before I get too far into creature feature yeah. and what works for that. Uh, another piece that's easy to beginning, middle, end. Let's talk about the soundtrack and the score. I thought you weren't going to like the score, Neil. Ghostbusters 1 has such a unique soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, to the point where a lot of us, I think we all agree, the second movie's score is lesser. Really underwhelming. Yeah. In the, in the context of, 
It's just the second Ghostbusters. The second one is Randy Edelman. Is that? Yeah. yeah. And it's not terrible. It's just, it's not, it's almost, it's, it's like one foot in the door of a sitcom. Right. The first movie is Elmer Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, if you've seen the first one, you know it's it's got a lot of like kind of jaunty piano whenever Waltzes. Yeah, and like uh yeah, some there's a romance theme. There's a really good um, you know, uh, the ghosts are coming music that's kind of just the Ark of the Covenant theme a little bit. And it's got uh, a ther- some theremin usage. Oh, yeah, like the all the library stuff. I'm, it's it's either a theremin or it's something that sounds like a theremin, but it's its own thing. I forget. One thing I love about the love theme you just mentioned mm-hmm. is that the title of that track is I Respect You. i always thought that was rich yes um now of course of the criticisms of this movie is going to be this leans very heavily into ghostbusters one more than any other part of the franchise and the score is no different right yeah it's one of those things that other movie series no one questions it it's like hey this is just the mission impossible theme right hey this is just the star wars bad guy theme this is the mart the darth vader march or whatever so to have ghostbusters come back and be like, all right, to hell with it. This is what Ghostbusters sounds like. About half an hour into the movie, when two of the main, when Podcast and um, Phoebe are just walking down the streets of Somerville, which I thought was cute. It takes place in a town called Somerville. Neil, what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I live there. You've lived there. Before. I've lived there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, up in, well, not in Oklahoma, but in um, Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Yeah. With an O. Somerville with an O. <laughs> the, um, that's around half an hour in. I thought to myself, I wonder if Neil. I, I thought it was distracting for a minute. I'm like, oh, this is, it's just, it's the Ghostbusters music. And it, it didn't, it didn't quite, it's just such a unique sound. You know, it's not yeah. John Williams. It's not J- J- James Newton Howard. It's not. They, well, they, they, they bring it out every once in a while in the movie. And uh, like, you know, the, the really obviously Ghostbusters, like the parts of the score that you really remember um, do come out in the movie. And at times it feels a little obvious. Uh, but the whole time I'm thinking like no other movies sound like this anymore. So I'll yeah. take it, you know, that's kind of, that's honest to God, like the undercurrent of this whole movie that I like beyond. I like ghostbusters mm-hmm. is the cadence of the movie, the pacing of the editing, the lighting, the acting, the caliber of humor, the non-referential, just I'm being funny humor. It's less quippy. Well, it's a little quippy, but it is very in character. It doesn't, it's anti Deadpool. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel like some comedians did punch up on this movie at all. It feels like the jokes come from the characters' personalities. Personalities, yeah. Yeah, and we've talked a lot off microphone about how modern comedy movies are kind of dead, right? There has been like a comedy movie we've all been like, oh man, you got to see, I don't know, friggin' <laughs> yeah. uh, Step Brothers or something. Like, you know, there hasn't really been that in a long time because modern the comedy of the last couple of years has been enveloped into comic book movies, right? Yeah. Every, every movie is kind of on that Ghostbusters level of special effects plus jokes. Yeah. And this movie, there's definitely a good 35 minutes after the opening action set piece with the, the first monster you see where mm-hmm. it's like, let's just do some right esque comedy writing. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated it. I just, I, I, I felt like I was just watching it. My kind of movie, regardless of the Ghostbusters window dressing. Yeah, my take on the music was, as you and I discussed after leaving New York City, when I think of, when I hear this music, I do think of New York City, but that's the tone, that's the feel of the first movie. Yeah. And the second movie is also takes place exclusively in New York City, and I think this music doesn't feel like New York. Yeah. This music feels like Ghostbusters, and I go, I have to compare it to the Adrian Brody Predator 
where they took the badass yeah. Predator theme and applied it to far too many Predator films deep in this franchise and go, this just feels distracting. It's hard. You need to make a movie good enough to warrant this soundtrack. And although this film doesn't feel like New York City, which felt a little weird being in New York, it does <laughs> feel like Ghostbusters. And that's good. Do you think there there was, um, I want to say, was it Every Frame of Painting? Someone did a video essay years ago about how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has bad music. Bad, yeah, bad's a harsh was, word. Just like forgettable. Very unmemorable, which is a synonym for forget you just said. It's, it's, um, yeah, it was them. They, they made that. And it, it's a good, they made a really good argument. An observation, I guess, right? About mm -hmm. why is Disney afraid? Clearly, they could do it. They've got the money. They've got the time. They've got the talent. They've got anyone they ask will show up and do it, right? And eventually, Alan Silvestri gave them the melody of the dun, 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 whatever. The, I honestly don't even know. What's the Avengers melody? Ugh. Medley? Okay, but we don't even know it off the top of our <laughs> yep. head. Um, but, it's not that good. But yeah. every superhero thing before that that really worked had it. Yeah. I, I think what it is, is movies are, you know, like I think, I don't, I don't think if timing lock is quite as hard, a set in stone as it used to be. Right. So if you're editing and changing the timing on the movie right up until release, how are you supposed to score to that? Spider-Man 2 infamously had that problem yeah. with the temp music and Danny Elfman and Sam Raimi arguing a ton um, and they were using, what was it, Hellraiser, right? <laughs> yeah, which uh, Hellraiser, which is definitely a score that Danny Elfman has listened to in the past, right, right. if you ask me. And Danny Elfman was like, well, look, if you want that guy to score your movie, just get him, you know? So in the case of Ghostbusters Afterlife and uh, Predators, the Adrian Brody, Topher Grace one, yeah, I, I, it bothered me more in Predators. Absolutely. I remember, because I, I even, I kind of liked that movie. I yeah. did too, actually, yeah. Like the, the music, it, it, there's something about, I think it might be a context thing, just the way we watch movies now, where we're just not expecting a theme, you know? We're not expecting like someone to like kick down a door and you hear, bum, ba -dum, bum. Yeah, the music never gets to be in the forefront so much in, in movies, but it does in, in this movie. Yeah, and I, I, I know like no one's talking about the music online the way we are, <laughs> but I, I thought like, I wonder what Neil thinks will think about the score. I, I, th think, I think it's a good score. I it is. Actually, there, there were other parts of the score that didn't sound like Ghostbusters, but they still sounded like John Williams or uh, Jerry Goldsmith or just some, you know, they, they, they sounded like 80s. They had little like clarinet flourishes yeah. that you wouldn't put in a modern soundtrack normally. It made the movie feel like mahogany in a good way. You know, it felt <laughs> yeah. like it had a texture. Yeah. I know, Ryan, you probably want to move on to the next thing. I have so many things I could talk about with the music. Well, yeah, here's, here's another section three, chapter three. <laughs> Night falls upon the Ghostbuster <laughs> podcast. Was the aspect ratio correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we could go back to the golden triumvirate of Matt Groening, Sam Simon, and James L. Brooks creating The Simpsons. Matt Groening has a foundation. When it comes to Ghostbusters, I argue that's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. When it comes to the comedy, you need comedy of Sam Simon with the Second City type guys of Taxi and Cheers and yada, yada, yada. That clue when it comes to the Second City style of, that's a hard one, the Second City style of comedy, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. But you need that James L. Brooks for the heart. You need the heart, the foundation, the comedy, and Ghostbusters has heart. So many iterations of this franchise have either abandoned heart or failed to achieve it. You're saying Ghostbusters Afterlife has heart? Has heart. Okay, sorry. That is correct. Are they meant the first yeah. movie? Because that's a, this is what I was about to get into with the music. And I feel like it's something that's permeated a lot of the discussion leading up to this movie's release because there's been a huge preamble about Ghostbusters Afterlife because it got announced 
and there was some fervor about, wait, they're making another Ghostbusters movie already? Didn't the last one lose money? Oh, and it's not even a sequel to that? It's a sequel to Ghostbusters 2? Yeah. It's been about four or five years of discussion about what Ghostbusters means. Yeah. There's been a lot of push online about, well, Ghostbusters is just supposed to be funny. Why does this movie look earnest? Why does this movie look like an Amblin film? Why does this movie look like The Goonies? That was my reaction, too. I felt very odd about the trailer when it first dropped. I was super into it. And the I think using the old score to the degree it did, because it's not just replaying samples. It is like a new orchestra coming in and mm-hmm. or a new composer coming in, a, a new editor. This movie, in a passive-aggressive way, which sounds like a pejorative, but I think in a passive-aggressive way is saying, no, Ghostbusters counts it isn't just a bunch of glib dick jokes. It isn't It isn't Caddyshack. Ghostbusters clearly captured the imagination of people for a, a reason. And, and I do think that the heart angle of this movie, I think out of, the, out of the four Ghostbusters movies, it's definitely the most sincere. Definitely. Yeah, it's... So the original movie is kind of a dick joke movie. So, some of the people working on it were probably approaching it. Oh, it's it part from, of the formula. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of the formula. Yeah. Uh, but I think... For kids who watched it, it was it was never intended specifically as a kid movie. Yeah, the first uh, one. The first, the first one. one, yeah. But and that's the crazy magic of, we could go over the list of kid inappropriate <laughs> moments, but it they sold toys, and, and they were still talking about it. It worked. There was a Toxic Avengers cartoon. Like that's yeah. how the 80s worked. But, but Ghostbusters warranted it. It took two years to make that ghost, the Ghostbusters cartoon, because they were caught with their pants down. Uh, they, right, that's what I'm getting no at. Is they didn't intended. they didn't really expect it to be as successful for kids specifically. That's Dan Aykroyd, man. That's Dan because yeah, Ac- he's a big kid. Is that he's what you're a saying? big fucking kid? Yeah, yeah, and he t- in a good way, in the best way. Like that 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 movie is he's not interested in women. He's interested in women ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, that movie is such a combination of that man's purest passions. Like mm-hmm. the, the proton packs are based off of distillery technology. Really? For real, for real. Like, like obviously not alcohol will not destroy spirits. Hey, wait, we have a button for that. Kevin has spent so much time making sure that we can trigger sound effects live while we're recording. Hey, I'm not done talking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that whole like aspect of the first Ghostbusters where there's something about it that kids really zero into that they didn't exactly uh, expect while they were making it. Yeah. Um, is what this new movie is supposed to be predicated on. Predicated on. It's yeah. supposed to be approaching it from the angle of, what if this was your first Ghostbusters movie? What if you had never heard of the Ghostbusters and um, you, it was just an old property that you were vaguely aware of? Yeah. And you kind of slowly discovered how cool it was. I think it's been shown that you shouldn't remake Ghostbusters. So if you're going to make another one, this is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, just right? a different from a different perspective. But it is a remake at the end of the day. Well, not a remake, but it does it doesn't bring new oh, things yeah. to the table. It's not about enough, not enough new things. It's about uh-oh, the first movie's happening happening again just to different people in a different time. Which well, sort of plays off the ritual aspect of the supernatural, right? So it's it's yeah. almost a get out of jail free card for some audience members but clearly not all. But yeah, but before we get into the ritual of Gozer, that yeah, in the audience is that understanding and expectation of that. I was thinking a lot for prep for this recording about the the difference between a soft reboot like The Force Awakens, because I kept thinking of this as a soft reboot, versus a passing of the torch. And there's so much crossover between those two things, but they're different. And there's a soft reboot like 
uh, The Force Awakens, but a passing of the torch like Creed and Creed Two. There's a franchise, yeah. the Rocky franchise, that can work because it has heart as well. Creed One is the best example of this kind of movie, right? Right. When you pass the torch, it's also a soft reboot. It is, though Adonis has a very different story arc yeah. than Rocky Balboa, the same way that our newest members of the Ghostbusting team have very different story arcs than men in their 30s in Manhattan. Irregardless, living not off, a word. Living off of college money. <laughs> <laughs> they... Uh, by the, if they were to make a Creed three and Stallone and actually Rocky passes away, Stallone in real life, or he just doesn't want to do it, um, it has enough strength in its own two legs to continue. Well, that's actually what they're doing. Um, Stallone's not going to be in the third one. It's going to be like Michael B. Go. Jordan's, like it's his baby. Okay. At this yeah. point, I'll say this because I feel like we're we're tiptoeing into. We have to talk about spoilers soon. Yeah, we may have accidentally spoiled a few things already. True. I, I want to say one more thing about why I think it's valid to make a Ghostbusters movie that isn't just another, like... That's, you know, that it has a genre tweak to it. Right? Yeah. Whenever I hear people say Ghostbusters should just be funny and have special effects and be like nothing but quotes and memorable lines, the first Ghostbusters is like the most quotable movie ever made, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's seriously up there. It, it, it's like that and like what? The Godfather? Like, I, like seriously, like people like quote Ghostbusters constantly. It's like The yeah. Simpsons, right? The reason I think it speaks to so many people, and I feel like I'm stealing this from a few essayists and a few child psychologists who've written about Ghostbusters before, is in any mainstream supernatural story, when something happens involving ghosts or demons or curses, you have to meet it on its own terms. This is a terrible example. But in Thinner, you can't beat the curse of getting thin by eating a bunch or by getting medicine. Going to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. Or in Evil Dead, you got to use like that cursed dagger or the Necronomicon. In any Indiana Jones movie, you have to play by the rules established in like the Bible or yeah. something, right? In Ghostbusters, a god, a Sumerian god shows up and a bunch of rabbis and priests and cardinals are praying that something happens and guess what happens? A bunch of scientists show up and go, we've got this. <laughs> For real. Like, they, 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 And that's empowering to children, not because of the religious connotations, but because the rationalization you are presented with as a child when something you don't understand is happening is hide from it. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a, there might be a monster under your bed. Someone just says, well, it's not real. Right? But when you're a kid, that doesn't really work. Your brain's too fertile and ready and receptive and creative. So you're going to keep thinking there's something scary under your bed or in the closet or outside or whatever. And if it's a ghost, then there's nothing you can you're do about doomed. it. You're doomed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but Ghostbusters says, fuck that. Egon Spengler and Ray Stans figured it out. Yeah. It yeah. makes it very clear. Like, oh, ghosts work in a specific way. Oh, we can get them if we have a, you know, like a particle accelerator. It's an incredibly, like the meritocracy angle of Ghostbusters because it's a going into business story. Yeah, I know it sounds like I'm yeah. putting a lot in <laughs> Ghost. It's it's a very rare type of movie. It's not. There's no tear that comes out of a Ghostbusters eye and lands on a trap and that fixes it. There's you know what I mean. There, there's none of that shit. It's just hey, uh, we have. It's a going into business story and their ingenuity and their their workmanship and their their cleverness, their willingness to take risks. They they which is what saves them at the end. They cross the streams. They do the thing they're not supposed to do. Right. Yeah, and that that marries very well between the themes of science and self-enterprise, which is why the villain in that movie is regulation, you know, it's yes. 1983 <laughs> when they're filming it. And obviously, obviously which, Walter Walter Peck is an asshole too. What what I what I think the whole 
Walter Peck thing comes from. I think that's like the sketch comedy. Um, yeah. That's the conclusion. If, if you were writing Ghostbusters as a five minute skit on SNL, yeah, or then, SCTV, yeah. then yeah, that would be the punchline. Would be the EPI guy shows up EPA. and like or EPA. Sorry, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why EP me getting EPA wrong is funny <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, I think that's like the main reason why the EPA becomes the villain of that movie is just because it's funny. It's the rule of funny. It's like yeah, of course they'd run into trouble with you know, regulations and stuff. I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be like a fuck the EPA. Kind it of totally thing. isn't. Yeah. It, but people are going to expound upon it because in recent years, like after the Bush era, mm-hmm. deregulation has become a huge problem. But at the time it was more, this guy's a sniveling brat who literally tells a cop to shoot Peter Vink. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's played as super funny. Like if he does it again, you can shoot him. You know, that's a great line. Yeah. I think I've made my case for why Ghostbusters is more than just this man has no dick. You know, jokes like that, like on top of the Marx Brothers stuff, on top of the incredible chemistry. There's so many reasons that movie works, but that is why the it's, cartoon, as, va- it's as valid as Star Wars. It totally is. And <laughs> Ghostbusters, I don't know why so many people object to the idea of it being on level with like an E.T. or Jaws or something like there's been a lot of that over the last five, six years. Like, ah, it's Ghostbusters. It's dated. It's hack. It's like, ah. I watched it recently at a friend's bachelor party. We rented out a movie theater for my friend Dan Hamilton's bachelor party. Dan wanted to watch Ghostbusters, so all the groomsmen, like 15 of his best friends, we all sat down, we watched it, and it played, it, I was going to say, it played like Gangbusters. <laughs> I'll stop doing that. I'm sorry. Wow, I haven't said <laughs> Gangbusters coming soon. I hope I've made my point. Yeah. I think there's a real reason, and it's it's a short shrift to say Ghostbusters should just be a cynical kind of snarky movie glib yeah yeah it's not that glib there's that great scene in the first movie where uh dan and ernie are talking about judgment day and winston's trying to figure out if ray is an atheist and that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh and that that stuff plays into yeah yeah the, i the think that, themes. I, I think the first movie uh people don't give it enough credit for for playing the supernatural element fairly straight yeah. and through the music and special effects and uh, strategic lack of jokes yeah. it actually gives you a, fe- a sense of you know impending doom very effectively for I- for an Ivan Reitman movie yeah and um, I guess what Dan Aykroyd brings to the table is all this like very authentic sounding ghost lore that no other movies do very well yeah the fact that Dan Aykroyd was a big player in Hollywood at the time when that movie was being made uh-huh. and they could only give him so short of a leash it's like at a certain point you have to have lines like don't cross the streams, the technology, the fact that it's not just one device. It's like four devices. The fact that they have that car. There's only so much you can put away the man child of Dan Aykroyd. If he's like basically the second biggest star in your movie at the time, arguably the biggest for 1984 was Dan Aykroyd, right? Like Bill Murray had done stripes. Yeah, yeah definitely. No, I mean, this is Dan Blues Brothers Aykroyd. Bingo. Dr. Detroit himself. Dr. Detroit. <laughs> um, <laughs> Man, this is only going to be funny to people who are like 10 years older than us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I basically think it's valid to make a, the tone this movie has is valid. Yeah, reverence. Yeah. Valid tone is a good segue to spoilers. It's time to just openly discuss the movie. All right. Uh, let, let's transition into that segment then. It'll be real great. It is time to openly discuss the spoilers of the film that are probably not much spoilers to anyone listening at home, but at the end of the day, the original living 
Ghostbusters are in the film. I love how we did in the pre-spoiler segment, we didn't even get into like how good McKenna <laughs> Grace is in the movie. Yeah, and honestly, Rudd, I think we like, just talked about the stuff we wanted to talk about first. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah I didn't do a section on special effects or practical. I didn't do a section on acting, but yeah. well, the night is young. Well, right. so, well, I, 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 I think everything we said is like a good... Um, uh, like set up for this review, which is right off the bat. I want to say it's where not we're a, coming from. Yeah, for me, this movie is kind of a C plus B minus. It's I like it, um, but it falls short. So I guess we can get into the good, the good and bad of this movie. Should we talk more about non spoiler stuff? Whatever, fuck it. Who cares? No, yeah, let's just do it. Uh, Ryan, what, what's your letter grade? Uh, a minus. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. My head, I absolutely loved it. I've seen it twice. Fuck it, I teared up both times. Yeah, maybe I should have gone to the premiere. I thought about this the other day that, like, in 10 years when I look back in the movie, you know, um, I'll probably give it, like, a B-plus because it's, it just as a filmmaker, I just know the shortcomings. I know I know the problems that are there. But I had such a good time watching this movie, mm-hmm. you know? The big elf in the room with the problems of the movie, right? And I guess these are spoilers. Is There's, like, a five-minute segment in the middle of this movie. They do this joke where Phoebe opens up a pocket in a Ghostbusters jumpsuit and finds a, a crunch bar wrapper. Yep. And a Twinkie. There's a Twinkie inside a glove compartment yeah. in the Ecto. And then they're in prison in that actor who looks like Bizarro Dave Chappelle. That's okay. So that's <laughs> uh, a real B- deal. Bokeem, actor. Uh, would, would, uh, Woodbine, but I, I, <laughs> he looks like Dave Chappelle. Well, just because Dave Chappelle has been like on our, our mind very much recently. Yeah, sure. I had a moment where I was like, Oh no. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, <laughs> Like oh they no but then I I recognized him he's also on Fargo with um yeah yeah with uh Carrie Coon but that character says who are you gonna call yeah and it it makes sense in the context of the scene but I liked it, that joke it actually. feels like the movie is like putting down its beer going check this out everybody I'm mm-hmm. about to do a magic trick like the camera like kind of dollies in a little bit you could felt we even opening night Ryan and I in the theater with other Ghostbuster fans you could kind of hear eyeballs rolling for that yeah. Yeah. So this movie dials up fan service to 11, and it could have just stopped at like a 7 or an 8. Yeah, so I would say get rid of the the Twinkie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of like the crunch bar shot because that was about kind of humanizing, like, oh, here's your grandfather's like actual suit. Here's like candy he was eating. Like, it's yeah. a very direct connection. The Ghostbusters like junk food. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of okay with that. The Twinkie bar sticks what? out. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. There's already enough fingerprints on that car with like the police scanner and shit like that. When Egon dies... The ghost, the, yeah, the demon dog comes through the chair exactly the same as I got Dana Barrett of, mm-hmm. we're giving the audience exactly what you're expecting and exactly what you wanted. Uh, when we see that no human being stacks books this way in Egon's old apart, you know. That's a good home. background joke. It's a good background yeah. joke because we get it and kids yeah. will just think, man, why would you stack books that way? Which or is like, a joke yeah. in the first movie. <laughs> or like the mom is cleaning up to like take this stuff out of the house or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, but Again, yeah, like the, yeah. that's that's the main problem with the movie is like all the big sight gags, all the big set pieces really do come from the original movie. There's Some, not all of them. Well, you know what I mean. The Somerville like, cinematography is really nice. I sure. like the Shandor mines. I the, the scene, the big action scene where the kids catch a ghost, right? Yeah. I Every... I almost did it. I almost said in all three Ghostbusters movies, in all four Ghostbusters movies, the scene where the Ghostbusters catch the first ghost, it's perfectly emblematic of the strengths and weaknesses of the overall film, mm-hmm. right? Ghostbusters 2 has the best capture scene, the, the courtroom scene. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty damn cool. Ghostbusters 1, like the comedy is on display in, in, like, in, in a higher volume and 
you're learning the tools of the trade, you're learning how it works, and you're still seeing like you're seeing Peter Venkman start to fall behind the other two guys because he's been the alpha guy the whole movie, and now he's like covered in shit. And like, you know, he, just, he, yeah, like, he needs he, help yeah. getting back up. And Ray is like, oh my God, actual physical contact. Like, you know, they're, Ray's like living his best life in that scene. Yeah, that scene is too good. I, I, I It's amazing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd put the, the courtroom scene above it. For but. me, it's more the staging, the effect. Sure. And, yeah. then, and then in the Fag movie and, and the remake in 2016, it's it's just... What's their first ghost? Exactly. It? I know. You've seen this movie. It's well, the rock once, concert like, with yeah. Ozzy Osbourne's cameo. And the the super saturated color palette and yeah. like the the CG dragon. Yeah, yeah, that was the first. That's the scene. Uh, hmm. Oh, I mean, there's a scene where they're in the tunnel and they see a ghost, but they don't have all the equipment ready and all that stuff. Right, yeah. But in this movie, it's the Ecto one with the gunner seat, and it's awesome. It's an awesome action scene. It's like a seven minute big set piece. It's produced very well. It is. It's it's not as funny as the first movie. It's more like Ghostbusters two. Where it's just, hey, how kick ass is it that they catch ghosts with this stuff? Right. Yeah, yeah. You can look at the big ghost busting scenes of each movie. And if you watch those in a bubble, you kinda know what this movie's gonna be good at and not good at. Yeah. So in the first movie is just perfect. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. Well, this one, I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, uh Muncher is cool. T- a tardigrade. Yeah, he's thing. cool. Yeah. Actually, I love the way he um zips out of the scene you see how his legs kind of flop over on themselves whenever he uh nopes out of out of there but um yeah yeah at the end of the day he's kind of a a, a slimer uh palette swap yeah and uh you yeah. know we've seen the ecto one before like yeah it is uh it's a movie about uh finding old stuff from the first movie yeah i've heard jason raymond talk a lot about the he said there's a specific quote of his where he says designing a ghostbusters ghost takes way more work than you think because everyone knows what they look like and they all don't look the same. Like like the taxi driver looks nothing like Vigo, but they're both anthropomorphic dudes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and in this, Muncher is more threatening than Slimer. He can hurt the kids. Yeah. I like the fact that he has a signature that he eats metal, which I felt like an idiot when it came back up later in the movie. That was great. Yeah. That was great. Oh. <laughs> That's worth it. It's worth it to have. That's worth it. That's such a, like, like the kind of screenwriting, like neat solution that never happens anymore but i always love it that's that's what i was getting earlier like this is like an older school type of movie and not just because it's a referential but because it's it's edited slower you know Mm -hmm. um and it's it's not a super long movie it's about two hours and change maybe it felt super long to me i think yeah yeah the problem with the movie the the big um the broadest problem i have was it starts off very slow it really eases you into the ghostbusters lore and and you know backstory and stuff yeah and then but it never reaches a top speed that justifies that uh, slow acceleration. Um, it's more deliberate and everything happens on camera. Whereas Ghostbusters 1 and 2 have like montages of like life is going on. Right. The Ghostbusters are now famous. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And those kind of like hit pretty bizarre heights. What with, you know, Stay Puffed and uh, the um, Statue, Statue of, Liberty. of Liberty. Yeah. I forgot, yeah. It, forgot her name for a second there. And uh, Lady Liberty. Yeah. And um, she's French. You yeah. And that. although those two scenes are like annoyingly similar to each other. I uh, disagree. I've always. Well, you know what I mean? Like when yeah. people like finally saw the the end of Ghostbusters 2, they're kind of like, hmm. Yeah. This is kind of like the first one. Yeah. Um, this movie, thankfully, doesn't do that. Yeah. But it doesn't do much else. Uh, I mean, it, it's big surprise at the end is the original Ghostbusters show up, um, which is great but it is also on paper just like um it's at the ceiling 
that it can only get as good as referencing that movie. Right. It's yeah. It's just kind of an underwhelming um, chain of events. At the end of the day, Gozer gets out and stays on ground level and goes to a farm. You know, like it's well, it's because it, she's trying to kill the kids. Like, right. I know there's a plot reason yeah, for yeah, it, yeah. but in terms of spectacle, it's not very spectacular. I like that about it, though. The movie is low stakes feeling. Lower stakes. Yeah. It was a seventy-five million dollar movie. Yeah. The previous movie was one hundred and forty-four million dollars for some reason. I, I remember walking out of that previous movie going, just no, not every movie should be Spider-Man. Not, and even Spider-Man shouldn't be Spider-Man. Like it's, I'm, you know, people. Was are, that like development in hell money or? No, that, it was originally $120 million. And then they went back and did reshoots and there was another 20 something. Uh. Um, but the thing is the end of that remake is exactly the first movie because mm-hmm. it's a remake. Uh, but it's like a big white puffy thing smashing buildings and the Ghostbusters are doing backflips in slow motion and stuff. It's like, well, what the fuck am I watching here? It's just so not the core. It's very, yeah, it's very different. Yeah. That movie feels way more in the in the in the house of ghost, like attempted Ghostbuster, like movies that attempt to recapture Ghostbusters. Yeah. Top of the heap is probably Men in Black. But then you have Wild Men Wild in Black West. Two, Men in Black Two, <laughs> Men in Black Three, Wild Wild West, Evolution by Ivan Reitman. Ryan wanted to talk about Evolution. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna get when it comes to is this movie going to be a success? Stay an A minus B plus. Yeah, depends on where they go from here. With it being a passing of the torch, like it should be, yeah, or a soft reboot, which also they both they both signify making more movies. Yeah, but when you want to talk soft reboot, yikes, um. Yikes being 2001's Evolution. Yeah. I'm looking at my timeline. I thought it was 2000. Uh, released in 2001. <laughs> you sound like you've been shaken to your like, core. No, by this. I, I, I don't know why. That, always seemed, that seems like the definitive the year 2000 movie to me. The smiley face thing. Yeah. Feels like a, yeah. The logo. Yep. Yeah. My timeline in front of me. 84, Ghostbusters. 86, 91, animated. The real Ghostbusters. Great show. 89, Ghostbusters 2, 97. Extreme Ghostbusters. People like that show a lot more than I thought. Yeah, I I've only seen like ten episodes and it's fine. And it's great yeah. that you know we you know, we could talk about that one too. But my only note on it: sixty seconds in and out. Uh, it's about a new group of Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Check. It's a it's means someone else can enjoy this. It's a quote generation later. Check. And it's Egon. It's Egon is the Ghostbuster. He stays in the firehouse. He teaches them how to do it. And although some text new, some text different, they sell different toys. They they make something new out of it that they can keep going. Yeah. And then I have to talk about what is not a Ghostbusters property, but is just such a hor- for every criticism of Ghostbusters Afterlife, they're going to compare it to the elephant in the room of 2016's ghostbusters i'm not go. we collectively are not going to do that i've already done it probably too much <laughs> i've already done it too much in 2001 a film came out that the kids at home might not know starring david Duchovny, orlando jones sean william scott and poor poor julianne moore who deserves so much oh better my, yeah jesus christ and dan Aykroyd. I, dan Aykroyd dan Aykroyd does come in, in the end movie. i need to rewatch this no, you, movie you don't yeah. no Dude. i'm gonna do it I, that, that that movie is absolutely sony going up with a dump truck of money to Ivan Reitman's house going, make another one. Yeah, back engineer another one, but don't call it Ghostbusters. They wanted to make, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, Starship Troopers. There's a little bit of David Duchovny and uh, the X-Files movie. There's a bit of Congo, as I discussed earlier. At the end of the film, white-haired evil chimps attack Dan Aykroyd and the rest. Man, I never put that together. You're right. It looks a lot like Congo. Congo. 
there's a bit of Jurassic Park. There's a bit of the bad Matthew Broderick. Um, Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. The movie there's even has its, it has its own Slimer. It has its own Slimer. Yeah, it has its own little like, like, oh, like yeah. foot tall globulate thing. It ends with a giant monster overtaking the area that's sort of like a Stay Puff, sort of like a Statue of Liberty, but more they have like- to go out in its butt? Yeah, after- to, yeah. With like head and shoulders, that's yes. how they beat it? Yeah, yeah, after Orlando Jones Donkey gets an lips. alien that they have to take out of his butt, they they then put him inside the butt later, and they all get slimed. And it's a film with too many Peter Venkmans and not enough real scientists. Yep. And you want to talk about problematic behavior in the original Ghostbusters? Go ahead. It was decades ago. But this movie from 2001 has objectively really cringeworthy, just a woman falls on the ground and they comment in her underwear and they don't help her up. And it's this Julianne is, Moore. It's Julianne Moore. She deserves so much better. I don't know if Ivan Reitman pitched the idea. He was making movies throughout the 90s. Yeah. And some of them did very well. You know, well, here's the thing. Looking at his his um, filmography, he didn't really make Ghostbusters-esque movies. He didn't do, uh, aside from Evolution, he did high concept stuff, but it was- Like Dave. Like Dave Jr., which is you know not a special effects movie. Did he movie do Kindergarten aside. Cop? He did Kindergarten he did. Cop. He did Twins. These are all kind of like somewhat more grounded, more comedy. He worked that much with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I, I guess know. he was a fan. And um, what else did he do? He did a bunch of stuff um, of varying quality. And like Stripes before Ghostbusters. Like he's not- Bingo. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's not Joe Dante. He's not the kind of guy you'd pick for the ghost movie. Um, but he did it, and he did it really well. And I he directed No Strings Attached with uh, Ashton that, Kutcher, Natalie yeah. Portman, Kevin Klein, Lake Bell. Never saw that one. I'm sure it's not great. Did he do um, My Super Ex Girlfriend? Yeah, it's bad. I saw that in theaters. <laughs> um, but even Ghostbusters Two, and that's kind of one of the things I like about Ghostbusters Two. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's a little bit more of an Ivan Reitman movie at times. I know what you mean. The yeah. Sigourney Weaver elements in that movie. It's yeah. the sitcom-y feel to it at times. is more it's, in line with Kindergarten Cop's tone. You it's, know? The, well, it's, it's the dinner scene where Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray are out on a date, and they're kind of rekindling an old relationship, and she's had a kid and everything, and it's obvious she dumped him, you know? And uh, they have like a minute-long conversation that is very similar to conversations I've had with romantic partners over dinner. It's a very real adult conversation. It's, it's just about two 40-year-old people who've known each other for a long time, wanting the other one to be happy. Mm-hmm. It's not a sexy scene. And it's like, it's, you're seeing Bill Murray's like Bill Murray's strength of as a comedian has often been pointed out as subtle depression. Like yeah. Ebert said that a bunch, like he's always quietly depressed. You know, you you're rooting for Bill Murray because you can tell he's been defeated before. Right. That comes out a lot in Ghostbusters too, in the one-on-one Dana Peter scenes, which, um, you know, I know a lot of people hate that movie. I think it's good. Not great, but yeah. I, I enjoy Ghostbusters too. Well, we haven't talked about Afterlife in about 10 minutes. And I know, is, I yeah. know. But it's, it's all about the Reitmans in general and their tone because I really like the tone of this movie. I thought McKenna Grace was one of the best child actors I've seen. A lot of people just straight up don't want to watch kids in movies. Yeah. So that's a huge dice roll. Oh, that we should. this was what I was getting to. The stakes of the movie. The fact mm-hmm. that it's a $75 million movie. I enjoy the fact there isn't a city getting knocked over at the end, that there aren't like hundreds of casualties. I appreciate that too, because that's always just, that, that's like, it adds stress more than stakes to the end of a movie for me, because you know that the, because whenever that like level of destruction is happening in a movie, all I can think about is like, wow, the hero is just not saving a lot of people. <laughs> you didn't have to write this, right? Yeah. And that's why I appreciate like in Ghostbusters Afterlife, the finale is basically 
it's almost like a playground conversation. Mm-hmm. The way Gozer comes back is two people get possessed by the terror dogs, like spirits. Mm-hmm. They fuck. <laughs> and then Gozer comes back. It's very old school, like, you know, like, um, like a uh, demonic ritual shit. Yeah. And then these kids witness the two dogs at Gozer's temple and off camera, they have a conversation where they're like, why don't we just get rid of one of the dogs <laughs> and the whole thing collapses. They literally just use a ghost trap to catch one of the dogs. It's like, it's like pointing out a flaw in the logic of the gremlins, you know, being up after midnight or whatever. There's like a truncated version of the finale of the first Ghostbusters movie. And the kids are like, let's just, let's just catch one of the demon dogs and take off. Then you get that great moment where Gozer comes back as a different entity. It's like half corporeal. It's like this red monstrous looking thing made out of electricity. You can like see her, uh, it's, uh, cardiovascular system when it's walking across it was the a cool, looking, cool, cool looking, looking design i wish it was a little less cgi ish they could have that moment that, yeah. could, that could have been a, a bitchin puppet right there but didn't yeah. feel like it there may have been a real puppet underneath all the swirling crap but um i thought there was enough corporeal stuff in this movie though there just still was just enough. enough but yeah like it, it is it really it, it's on the other side of the uh equation where like once the ghosts do escape and they're kind of roaming around free and they don't really it's a little too much cg it's a little too much CG, but there's just kind of like not enough going on. It's it's very brief. It was cool to see physical stuff occupying mm-hmm. the screen, actors reacting to, and they do that with the terror dogs and stuff in this movie. Yeah, I thought yeah the dogs looked pretty cool, even in the terrible Walmart lighting that they chose for some reason. Yeah, yeah, Ryan, I feel like we cut you off. We're talking about the stakes of the finale. Do we want to get into like the cast because we haven't even talked about like Carrie Coon, Paul oh. Rudd? That was the first thing about this movie that gave me faith in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was Ryan and I are big fans of the leftovers, and when they announced there's a new Ghostbusters movie and Carrie Coons in it, I was like, "Whoa!" Talk about like an actor who could bring that adult weight that like a Sigourney Weaver or Linda Hamilton could bring to a movie. Exactly. I watched. Yeah, she's in. She's the star of a whole season of Fargo, and that won me over on her. She's so good. Yeah, I don't know anyone who dislikes. I let me do, would do that with no negatives. Everyone I know who knows her likes her. And I remember the and first Paul, thing Paul outside no of yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> we're so indifferent to Paul Rudd and he's clearly like the poster child for the movie. They're like in, in every poster for this movie, his head's the biggest. Like, hey, look, we got a Marvel guy, and he's good in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's totally fine. He's funny. When Carrie Coon got a big role with Ben Affleck in Gone Girl, and I went, oh, good for her. She's got her foot in the door. And the next thing I know, she's. Uh, a chunk of gravy. Uh, it doesn't even matter what smudge on the wall she is in an Avengers movie. It just doesn't matter. It's a bummer that she's like, does she? I haven't seen that movie. Is it Endgame? Sure. Um, Who does she play? Exactly. Just, yeah, they're, they're, they have horns, or maybe it's a girl, or maybe oh. it had, might as well not be a human. What it a, way, what it a just, waste. Because actually, it's funny. Somebody told me, did you know one of those three gray smudges with your glasses off is actually Elizabeth Moss? And I went, really? And I looked it up like, oh, that's sad too. You got the wrong talented actress, but you, your your heart's still in the wrong place. So there you go. We do that too with Julie Becker. She's like the best <laughs> actor we know. We always put masks on her face. Well, I was very surprised to learn that uh, Gozer is um, Olivia Wilde in this movie. She did a good job. Clearly having fun. Yeah, yeah. I love the bit where she rips J.K. Simmons in half. <laughs> That's great. You're like pretty oh. good, but again, they didn't. They didn't. They could have set it up better. I, I so I I was already like oh what the heck J.K. Simmons why like and then and he gives his speech oh I did this all for you now we can rule the world together and she just, just no Carrie Coon's great the role feels like she's thought through this person's life like the last like 30, 40 years of her life <laughs> she's very funny she's clearly um 
just, over it. Just, well, she's succumbing to all her bad luck by the middle of the movie. She's just... She's in such a weird state when she's on her date with, um, Paul, with Rudd. Paul Rudd. I love that scene. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, Paul Rudd is really good, too. I love his... So, but Paul Rudd is probably someone who's been on people... Like, if you had to recast Ghostbusters, he's been on... He's been on the short list, yeah. For a long time, I think. Probably a lot of really bad picks, like Will Ferrell, too. <laughs> I was going to say Will Forte would be a good one. Yeah. He'd be a good one. But just because he's funny. But just because he's funny, mm-hmm. you can't really map the archetypes to one-to-one unless you come up with an excuse, like it's a relative. But... But Paul Rudd is like very well cast in this specific for this specific Gary character. Gary Gruberson. Ga- uh, Gruberson, spelt G R O O B E R S. No accents or unlats. Uh, that's pretty funny. As this like he's a seismologist for plot reasons, but really he's just a summer summer school teacher who who's uh, who doesn't care about his job until like oh finally he kind of gets an opportunity to maybe teach some kids something real, and. Um, it blows up in his face and becomes this whole stupid ghost adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Logan Kim, who plays podcast, we never learned podcasts. Christian name. <laughs> I couldn't believe I liked podcast. Yeah, I was like, first of all, you know, as podcast. someone who, as someone who runs a podcast, very <laughs> offended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, like I think everyone who saw like, oh, there's a character named Podcast. This was his first feature film. Yeah, uh, Logan Kim. I liked him a lot. I, I like yeah, his character is pretty cute. He clearly like really likes Phoebe, and he's kind of trying to impress her the whole movie. There's definitely going to be the criticism because I can I can read the headlines in my mind. I'm sure they exist. I haven't looked them up because I don't want to read them. That are gonna say this is just. Peter Venkman without all the sexist or, you know, the problematic behavior and to go, you know what? That's not true. What you think? And you think you think podcast is supposed to be Peter Venkman? He has a lot of Venkman like qualities. I thought he was supposed to be like the Ray stand in just because he's so. Oh, because he's a believer. Yeah. When he's talk using his particularly long shotgun microphone with Phoebe. Okay. He's Peter Venkman in Dana's apartment. Okay. When he is narrating his world to himself, he is Peter Venkman making fun of the circumstances. He's a showman. He's a showman. He's a showman. Exactly. You're absolutely right. That is there. Now, when people are going to say, you know, let's say something bad about Bill Murray, who wasn't progressive enough 40 years ago, (laughs) I, I beg of you, I beg of you to watch 2001's David Duchovny <laughs> and Orlando Jones making fun of a woman who hurt herself about how she needs to get fucked and her panties. I, I it's inexcusable how much worse well, 2001 was a different time and the last time for every criticism of Ghostbusters Afterlife Afterlife I have to redirect the audience to what was actually the last time the studio really tried to do this cuz that it sucks. Right now, what are you gonna, you say? What you're going to say? Oh I, yeah, I mean, like a Venkman is supposed to be uh, con a con man, a con man, kind of a moderate sleaze who warms up by the end of the movie. And I think that that's good. That's, moderate that's sleaze who warms works. up. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about this off microphone before, and I'm going to bring up The Simpsons here, wherein you watch the first couple seasons of The Simpsons, and once in a while, once in a while, there's kind of a joke that maybe doesn't age great. Once in a great while, but for the most or character, part, but yeah, but for the most part, yeah. There's like seven or eight seasons of that show that are so well-intended. And even the stuff with Smithers is, for the most part, (laughs) for the most part, kind of toothless. Right. But then around 10 or 11, when there was like a big writing staff change, it gets nasty. Yeah. There's just straight up homophobic jokes on The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. It's not cool. 
Something was happening culturally around the turn of the century where just, it, it, I don't know if you'd call it gay panic or something, but things just straight up outward, proud gay jokes, proud like misogyny, um, racism. I honest to God think when I look at like the best stuff from the 90s, it felt like it was just a slightly just a more progressive time. Yeah, I, I don't I, get it. I, don't, I, it, it, it. I think it's a friction thing. Like, like, it, like I mean, people it, feeling the days are numbered. I got to get it out now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I think it is the Bush years. I think it's like a low point in culture. And I'm kind of glad we didn't have any Ghostbusters oh, stuff. Yeah. At it would have been awful. It would have yeah. been terrible. Yeah. It would have been Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that, um, that Peter Venkman's role in the first movie was it opens up. And in the first act, he's clearly a Bill Murray sleazebag type who's just trying to sleep around they're funny scenes i don't care because they're funny as hell when he's just like telling a woman that she's psychic to get her phone number and he's clearly 10 15 years too old for her and then he meets sigourney weaver and it's just like this brick wall well let's talk about i mean uh, since we're spoiling things yeah yeah the very last thing in uh in uh the new movie is um well, the penultimate. I know the, you're going to oh, say. Oh, it's the penultimate. But yeah, Sigourney does show up for kind of like a post-credit scene. And it's her doing the uh, the ESP test with Bill Murray. And she's zapping him. It's great. It's very, it's such a cute bookend to that character. There's such, I, I've said this before that once in a while, you just see talented people on camera do stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, you're reminded, oh yeah, there's not a lot of that in modern entertainment. You know, a lot of people are just, Hey, you're famous. We're just going to shoehorn you into this role because you're attractive and maybe you can't act or maybe you had like a high watermark in writing at some point. But um, when you just see people who are old pros at doing something like mm-hmm. acting like Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray, just riffing that clearly half of that scene was just them like shooting the shit mm-hmm. and they just captured it. They do a really good uh, editing trick there with Sigourney Weaver's cameo because the credits are like a minute in, they're playing the Ghostbusters theme and like the credits reach a point where they say with special appearances by Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, and Sigourney Weaver. And the moment your brain goes, Hey, wait a minute. Sigourney Weaver wasn't in this movie. There she is. You know, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It wouldn't be a Ghostbusters movie without her, you know? Well, I mean with, you can't put, do a Ghostbusters movie with the remaining Ghostbusters and not have Sigourney show up. Like it's, it would, she, she's so necessary to the cocktail. Yeah, that's a Jason Reitman move too. The whole movie, yeah. Whenever it has an opportunity to make the right move in addressing like anything uh, problematic, I don't know how you call it in the older movies, it does it well. Yeah, this movie definitely has some smart, deft um, solutions to the various problems you'd come up with um, trying two, to two girl Ghostbusters, one Asian American Ghostbuster. <laughs> like it's, it's, I don't know how calculated. Nobody, yeah. absolutely has talked about this it's weird how this movie just literally no one minded not even like like the mra like dirtbags who complained about um fury road none of them showed up to complain about the fact the lead of this movie is a 12 year old girl yeah yeah i don't know if that's just exhaustion over the discourse of the previous movie maybe the previous movie was like astroturfed or something i don't know who knows i didn't hear one person call out oh this is like the burger king kids club or the planeteers no one and I, I read a lot about Ghostbusters crap on the internet. I just didn't see anybody. I, I mean, I straight up felt like, ah, oh, they're doing kind of a Stranger Things vibe when I first saw the trailer. Yeah, but that's um, I'm, I'm getting at the whole like strategically diverse casting decisions. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, nobody had a bad reaction because to... it just felt organic. Because it, it was yeah. organic. Yeah. Like Phoebe, that's perfect. Like that's a perfect vessel for this story, right? Like a 12 year old kid. Yeah, I, I mean, like yeah, she's she's really good. I 
I've heard some people say you probably could have taken um, Finn Wolfhard's character, the older brother, out of the movie because he doesn't really have. He doesn't have a lot of elbow him. room. He's there because he's old enough to drive. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you do? Do you do you get rid of podcast? Mm-hmm. It's kind of cute to see the kids like off in the room, like fifth grade world walking around or whatever. Yeah. Or do, do, do you take out Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon? No. No, no. I actually like there was a point where we were see intercutting child male female relationship, teenage. Yeah. Does she like me? Do I like her? And two adults sitting down together. Well, one of them, by the way, Paul Rudd is saying, science is fucking cool. (laughs) Unapologetically, which I appreciated. No, science works. Let's not. No, if you don't like science, don't watch Ghostbusters. You know, he says that, but I mean, there's not a whole lot of real science in this movie. But uh, yeah, they they, they do some stuff where there's like a, I don't know if you call it a B plot, but there's like, you know, the rub between um, Phoebe and um, I'm trying to think of Finn Wolfhard, char- his character name. I don't remember it. Car driver. Just it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have some friction. McKenna Grace also has friction with her mother, but it's kind of softball-y. Um, I wonder if they edited it down. I- I've heard there were some deleted scenes where she gets bullied at school. Hmm. Trevor, that's Finn Wolfhard's name. Yeah. But they have some friction in the movie about they don't talk enough. Right. And when they do talk, like he kind of gives her a hard time about being a bit of a nerd. He likes cars. Right. Uh, but there's a bit where like at one point she, she says, oh, this thing in the backyard's a capacitor. And uh, Trevor says like, can you just tell me where the capacitor is? And she goes like, you never read any books. And he goes like, just tell me. It would take you five seconds yeah. to just tell me what it is. And at the end of the movie, he uses a proton pack to fix a capacitor to turn on the ghost trap to get Gozer. Hmm. So that's there. But it's not really frontal lobe stuff. It's not really, it's not really a course in the meal it's not a plot beat yeah it's it's there and it's it's enough but it's like it's clear that they i don't know if they just trimmed down uh, wolfard's stuff because he's i don't think he's terrible in the movie but it's just no, he's fine when it's he's standing like, next yeah. to carrie coon and when he's standing ne- you know next to mckenna grace when he's standing next to celeste o'connor when he's standing it's just he's he's just he's not as good and i don't know if it's like a, a sophomore slump thing like he's at a weird age to be an actor you know, maybe I I think it was just the character, uh, not enough payoff, I guess, to to his arc, and like the, you do get a decent amount of following him around, and there's just not enough payoff for it. They they probably could have done another pass on him. I like the teenagers at the cafe clowning on him for clearly yeah. having a crush on Lucky. Yeah, I but liked all, cool. I, I liked all that stuff, but it didn't end up um paying off much aside from bringing her into the the fold. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say he. I like the fact that he has to, like an insecure child, because he is, lie about his age because he looks young for his age. And yet, if he was a little older, 18, 20, he doesn't have that, I'm the awkward new te- I'm a new in town kid. And he's also, he's just tall enough to be much older than the children who are friends. Again, he's that middle between child and adult, but he is acknowledging that he looks young for this and he just doesn't quite fit. Uh, what does fit moving before we get to the end, I think it's important. We go back to, again, what I would argue is the heart of this film, uh, Egon, Mm. uh, including Egon. We need to talk about the best acted, the most serious dramatic scene of this film, Carrie Coon discussing with her children, how real, like everything I see here reminds me of my father who who left us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I go back to heart of 
there are so, there's nothing that there's nothing that dark in the first Ghostbusters movie, shy of maybe, yeah, uh, the great scene crossing the yeah Manhattan crossing bridge, and they're yeah. talking about like what the, is God real? The theological the implications Bible of real. what they do for work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is like family drama stuff, right? Jason Reitman stuff, not yeah. Dan Aykroyd stuff. You know? <laughs> right. Like there Dan are... Aykroyd's driving around thinking about whether God exists. These characters are driving around thinking about whether their father loved them. And honestly, God, honest. I, I speaking of Dan, um, Dan's scene in the movie is very similar. Dan Dan Aykroyd has a big scene where. McKenna Grace calls him um, because she sees the old Ghostbusters phone number in a YouTube video, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was a good way for her to get the phone number. And she has to write it down, even though she's probably smart enough to remember it, but she has to write it down because visual medium movie, right? Dan Aykroyd gets this big scene in the movie where he's on the phone at his old bookstore from Ghostbusters 2. Uh, which I thought raise was, a cult book, which is awesome. Yeah. I need to get a raise a cult book T-shirt. <laughs> I love that. I love the fact that you would run a bookstore unsuccessfully. <laughs> you got. I, I heard uh, the, they should have made the place look shittier. Like the, he's the, not taking care of anything. He uh, Dan Aykroyd basically gets to. He's doing similar to what Carrie Coon is doing, and he gets to call out that um, Egon Spengler abandoned them. And Dan Aykroyd, I think he did a really good job in that scene as an actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You reminded that he was nominated for an Academy Award for his acting. Like he he cares about it. He's just, you know, he doesn't get put he hasn't done a lot of serious material. Um but Brian when you and I were in that opening night and um Ray Stance says Egon Spengler can go to hell. You could feel like the temperature in the theater drop like 10 degrees. Yeah, it was, it was like whoa. Ghostbusters do do a lot of things. They don't say bad things about other Ghostbusters. Ev- they can disagree. They can fight. It's usually slime motivated, but they. <laughs> I can see. Uh, I can <laughs> see Vank- Yeah, yeah. But I can is- see Vankman really berating Ray. Well, like- <laughs> there's there that great scene in the first movie where they were in the prison and uh, they're going over uh, the uh, what needs to be done to save the day, and Peter is just like not keeping up, and Ray literally smacks Peter. <laughs> He's like, "Pay attention. <laughs> this is important." So the presence of Egon Spangler. Uh, and by presence, we mean the ghostly presence of Egon. It's a current throughout the movie. It is. Actually, it's some of the coolest stuff in the movie, my favorite stuff is um, Egon's ghost invisibly starts moving chess pieces. Yeah. And then later she um, like kind of officially meets him and he interacts with her by moving a lamp around, like a little kind of like desk um, lamp on a on a hinge or whatever. She says, how did you make a cyclotron you could fit in a backpack and eat the lamp <laughs> aims at a wall filled with various degrees in uh, metallurgy. And physics. Like, oh, look at that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a Pixar Luxo Jr. type situation, but it's a, uh, but it's a very effective and cute and very like Hardy Boys kind of way of meeting your dead grandfather's in ghost. In camera visuals. Yeah. $75 um, million. Dollars. <laughs> and then Carrie Coon comes down to the basement, like in basically in a stupor. Cause she's just like, what is life anymore? And then like, it starts moving and she's like, dad, yeah, it's like, yeah. And, and like, yeah, she, her acting is really good. She's just like, yeah, I guess I'm accepting this now. Um, ghosts are real. That's, ghosts are real. That's a thing. So when you finally do see, they do it, they do the thing everyone was afraid they were going to do, and they have a CGI Harold Ramis at the end of the movie. It's the best one of these I've ever seen. I'd agree. It's, it's, it, and not just, not I'm talking purely of, in technical, ex, like, 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 we haven't even gotten into like the merit of it, right? Yeah. I, literally five years ago, Neil and I were walking around Somerville, and I said out loud, they're going to do this. <laughs> like I was already kind of annoyed. They remade Ghostbusters two years after Harold Ramis died. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm like, they, Oh, they announced they're making another one. And I, I said to him, like, they're going to, they're uh. going to do a CG. Egon. They're going to do it. Cause 
why you know that's that's how movies are made. And then it's like Jason Reitman made every single effort he humanly could to validate it. First of all, I mean, like they're the Ghostbusters. Like if <laughs> Ghost exists, yeah, like, yeah. And I, I felt like outside of the movie, he we talked about this earlier. Apparently, the stand-in actor. There were two actors who stood in for Egon. And one of them was Ivan Reitman, Jason Reitman's dad. Yeah. How sweet is that to have your dad play the surrogate father figure of the movie? You know, like, the, I don't know. That's a, that's a cute move. I hope you paid him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know how it hit me. If you haven't seen the movie. Why are you? How'd you get this far? <laughs> <laughs> Shit's hitting the fan. Stop skipping around. What? Shit's hitting the fan. Gozer is about to kill Phoebe's mother and brother and everything. And the old school Ghostbusters show up. It's a pretty funny scene. Uh, Dan Aykroyd has some uh, has a great bit, bit where he does a speech like in the first movie where he tells Gozer basically to buzz off. Mm-hmm. But as he's giving one of his big Dan Aykroyd speeches, you see Ernie Hudson and Bill Murray like kind of looking at their watches because it's a long Dan Aykroyd screen. Dan Aykroyd cites the Invasive Species Act, <laughs> <laughs> which is such my school of humor. Yeah, I guess it's technically referential, but no one's talking about the Invasive Species Act or Ducks Unlimited or the AARP. Like, that's who he's <laughs> speaking on behalf yeah, of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, good. it's old school humor shit. Phoebe saves her mother. She's using a proton pack. Phoebe and Lucky both like are like shooting at Gozer, and it's clear Phoebe's not going to win because you just saw the... Th- three experienced Ghostbusters go down. Yeah. And her, about like, to, her aim is kind of faltering. She's 12 years old. Like yeah. she's just, she just started using this thing like today, <laughs> you know, like, but the, but the big moment comes in and you realize someone's helping her aim the gun and it's the ghost. You do, you ju- do you see his face right away or is it just his hands or the, the music, the, the, the diegetic sound effects and the wind and the proton pack sounds all die out. And, the music gets really soft and you see a ghostly hand helping her steady the gun. And then the camera comes in around her trucks around her. And you see that it's, it's not just Egon. It's, it's Harold Ramis. It's yeah. And and it, at this point they have established that Harold Ramis did love his family. He has yeah. pictures of them all over the place. He literally had to leave to go save the world. Right. Yeah. He, even the other Ghostbusters weren't in league with him at this point. He yeah. had to really he couldn't tell them to protect his actual, he couldn't tell the family to protect his family. And he did tell the other Ghostbusters, and they didn't believe him. Which kind of doesn't make sense to me. I think they would believe him. That's yeah. the whole crux, right? They, they have that great bit where Ray's explaining, we were going from 10 calls a week to one. Peter thought we had worked too well, <laughs> which, is like, which is a good line. But um, Egon basically says, it's going to happen again. Like, we didn't actually stop it. And uh, the line racist, I'm like, oh, he spooked me. Like, he freaked me out. And, like, you know, he basically was saying we couldn't handle it, and we didn't want to disband in New York. And it makes sense. Like Ray wouldn't want to leave New York. Ray really believes in, he loves the fact he created the Ghostbusters, right? Mm-hmm. He's so proud of that fire pole and the car and the logo and the, you know, he probably loves the fact they have a theme song, you know? Um, but Egon, it clearly isn't really all about the business. He's all about like their, their mission in life, which is to control and investigate the paranormal when it rears its ugly head. Um, so it makes sense to me that they would have that divide. And then Ray's very apologetic when, when, yeah. when Ray sees Egon, and I think that's in a ghost big, form. Yeah, I think that really helped the ending. All the actors get to interact with the special effect of Ramus in a very honest way. It feels very yeah yeah. I I really I mean I'm I'm very much here for the shot of the uh, the three living members all you know blasting the ghost, uh, and they very slowly realize that Egon is standing next to them as a ghost. Yeah, the, and um, Winston gets the eyes first. Yeah, he, he, I don't believe he even like nudges the other ones. They just go. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. They, like, they all sell there's it. There's a ghost. 
really funny. They 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 all look and they're like, oh boy, yeah. Um, it's a. Uh, I, I believe Bill Murray kind of looks over and then just looks back like unimpressed. <laughs> yeah, like oh, another yeah. ghost. Yeah, oh, how you gone? <laughs> he has that line. Oh, I thought you'd show up. Yeah, just yeah. very in character. <laughs> But what's weird about the scene, and I think kind of spoils it a little, is it just goes on a little too long. There's a little too much. It would have been a perfect less is more kind of. Well, they got to wrap up some loose ends. Yeah, they do. I wish they found a way to like just hurry it up though. Like the ghost should not have been on. The ghost should not have been like on scene but off camera because other things are going on right now. Like you can't have that ghost just hanging out. I wonder if I'll find it to take a little too long after I've already seen it. He has to say goodbye to his granddaughter. And to his daughter, and to his friends, and to his grands. Yeah, I wonder there's if there's a, a way to, to cover. Yeah, yeah it, to you're right. Maybe there is a way to visually do all of that, or just family, then friends. Or yeah, the other because way the longer the longer you go on recreating this like real human being as a CGI, like the, the lo- longer the we're trying you... to find the flaws. Yeah, it looks good because he's a ghost. <laughs> it looks really good. They uh, Jason Reitman said um, that the extra year and change they had. Mm-hmm. pre-release because the movie was ready like a year and a half ago or something but because of the pandemic they had more time to work in post he said that scene was the scene they put all their time into that's mm-hmm. awesome and you could tell because it's not just like a deep fake like the tarkin thing and uh rogue one rogue one i just want to call it rebel one every time um but the cooler title i won't say they wrote themselves into a corner but you just have to address the elf in the room if the if, the, if he like kind of shut up helped phoebe and disappeared then, there, then you'd have to do a scene afterward where, like, Carrie Coon is like, "Oh no, I didn't even get to say goodbye to him." Like, you know, like that. It's important to have a character hug Egon in that scene. It is, but it is. It's an odd position to be in where you have a uh, a ghost who doesn't talk, which is the right choice. I'm glad they did yes. not have, yeah. have him talk. No, yeah. don't, no worry there. Nobody wants that guy to talk. Yeah, <laughs> he'll just say something boring. <laughs> <laughs> he'll say something really dry I which yeah, I do I do uh, it would just make me sad because I always liked Egon's lines the best oh yeah um, but uh, he he was uh, quietly the best Ghostbuster right yeah and he knew it and um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it is just an awkward position to have a like this ghost who's supposed to represent kind of like who's kind of a a good deus ex machina in the film but he like he personally has to like wrap up his arc in multiple ways. It's just a lot to accomplish in in one scene. And I don't think they were able to do it um, you, in, in, a, in a way that um, that felt neat and not kind of. Uh, you felt the fat. I felt the fat. I felt subtly annoyed by them. Like, oh, you had like multiple good moments for the scene to end, but there was just some other stuff you had to do. And I understand that, but it just doesn't. It, it the scene just like feels too long i've seen the movie twice and like there were youtube uploads of it egon's in the movie for less than five minutes so i yeah i, I think it should have been one i think it should have been one minute it's like a sugar cube <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's like very whoa there it is <laughs> they did it and it looks good it got me did it get you like did like was it like- i really liked it but i go back to uh a soft reboot reboot versus a tanning of the torch if this is a handing of the torch awesome like Creed. If this movie's like Creed, yeah, and Michael B. Jordan can make other ones without Rocky Balboa, you've done your job. But if, like the soft reboot and The Force Awakens, we need another baby boomer to die yeah. every one of these next movies, so we get... An, if if we need to keep doing this every time the other three actors pass away, that is morbid, they can't that is opportunistic, yeah. and that is just... It's fan service in the most... In the worst way. Just the worst way. I think they know they can't. Like, you can't do, like, Fankman's Ghost or something. I think if they do another one, it's going to be Winston and Ray maybe show up a bit. 
Winston's gonna bankroll them or whatever. I'd be happy with one where just um yeah, where it's just Winston, really. I mean honestly, like, yeah. You said walking out of the movie, you said Ernie Hudson's the best actor of those guys, right? I'm like, well, that's like <laughs> yeah. his thing. Absolutely. Right? Well, he's a consummate uh character actor. He's been in a ton of shit. He, he was in Oz, as I mentioned <laughs> earlier. And Congo. <laughs> and Congo. It always comes back to Congo. Kids. Hey, just just to go back to Oz for a second, J.K. Simmons is in this movie for a hot second. That's we talked great. we talked about that a little bit, but um I just want to mention that he he's it's J.K. Simmons. And he looks a little bit like the Kentucky Colonel. Looks like Rasputin. <laughs> a little bit like Rasputin. Uh, he's yeah. playing Ivo Shandor, yeah. which is a name that sounds like a Ghostbusters backstory character. It's from the first movie. It is, yep. yeah. But like that's that's the kind of name that I assume Dan Aykroyd is able to come up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I named him after my dog. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to like paint the picture of what J.K. Simmons I, looks like. And he's in a glass tomb so, likes like stalin and lenin yeah. you know yeah they do a great job of this is the guy from the lore of the the prison cell yeah. where they discuss him and designing spook central and it makes sense this is why egon had to go to middle of nowhere this is where he got the ceruleum the rare earth element the bizarre yeah. metal that might even be fictional it's like a semiconductor i think it's real but yeah. they, he, he was building buildings and such out of the semiconductor out of a crazy thing which is the only reason why there's another there's another well, there's, other, oh, the internal logic. I love the internal logic that like ghost busting stuff is predicated on like electrical charges and ionization. It's, it's like a through line. Uh, what, one big thing we forgot to mention. We're almost at the end here, but we should go back. There are the little Stay puff guys. Which in looked like it was going to be the worst thing in the world. Uh, yeah. But, and then in the movie, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. The joke is already spoiled for me. It doesn't make sense why they're there, but whatever. You know, people want something like that. Yeah. Um, you can thank the Porgs. You can thank Baby Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and you know, the Walmart scene is loaded with product placement. So is mo- all Ghostbusters except for the animated ones. They're loaded with product placement, and they always have been. It's a de-risking move financially for sure. It's like yeah. the, the, we only like Walmart will probably give us fifteen million. I assume Twinkie was <laughs> behind the length of that Twinkie shot. Yeah, a hostess corporation by so. doing it in a Walmart. Yeah, you get the marshmallows and you get the dog food, and they do get some good mileage out of that location. Like, like they, they do. Have, the, there's one joke that I felt was worth it, which the, is the, the doors, uh, the automatic doors, the automatic come, doors, coming at the same at the wrong time, like five seconds after a ghost has passed through the doors. The automatic doors are like, I guess we open and shut. Yeah, there's that great shot of Paul Rudd strutting around Walmart because he just got his first kiss from Carrie Coon from mm-hmm. Callie. That's her name, uh, and that that was a good look. Um, but yeah, like Paul Rudd's great in this. He is. They're all honestly, they're all great except. I mean, like, um, uh, friggin' um, Finn Wolfhard, who isn't terrible. He's just not as good, right? Yeah, and I really do. I do think that's a character problem. It's not him. Sure. Um, Bill Murray sucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he kind of does. Like, he doesn't have to do any real acting in the movie. He's just he's doing his um. He, they're all doing their routine at the end. We didn't really talk about like. I don't want to spoil the individual jokes, even though this is the spoiler. But it's part. like a greatest hits thing. It is, yeah. Like, they're, they're do, a tell- Pete, do a Pete Venkman, okay? And he just does a couple Pete Venkmanisms. Like, yeah, it's know. it's a little perfunctory, but it is funny. He improved the, um, I won't say what line, but there's some lines that he improved that I thought were pretty good. I, I wanted to get to this moment because that's the big moment of the movie, right? The whole movie's trying to justify that effect. Yeah. It really is, and I think it earns it. I it hit me emotionally when I first saw Egon pop up in the movie. It didn't like destroy me in like a, oh God, there's I I didn't like get like misty eyed at the sight of him. I was genuinely in awe. And the way they did the effect, the way that he's like kind of cradling Phoebe and aiming the gun and everything, it looked like a home movie. It looked like a home movie of like a father and daughter or something, like him teaching her how to fish or something. It looked like I was watching 
like an old 16 millimeter or eight millimeter home movie mm-hmm. with the flickering of the way he was coming in and out. And it felt like I was watching like film elements be combined in a way. But the moment that got me was of course the shot of the four guys. Like that that's, you know, that's, I, I definitely cried. That's its job. That's like Ghostbusters is like my favorite thing in pop culture. It's why I went and studied electrical engineering. It's why I went to make movies. You know, I don't have like Ghostbuster tattoos or posters or anything anymore. I just like Ghostbusters a lot. And to have the four of them lined up, there's like, a, you know, there's like, a, like five seconds where you're, you're, you're kind of allowed to really relish that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do the effect of bringing him back for this movie, you have to do that shot. No, that wasn't too much. But it's just kind of like after the threat is gone. Um, he's still there. The denouement, like yeah, yeah. He's, he's got to say goodbye to Callie. Yeah, yeah. he's got to do all this stuff, but they're also like they're opening up the um, the dogs and like rescuing those characters, and there's just kind of like a lot to wrap up, and he's just kind of like standing around awkwardly. I, I assume in it's the almost back. like a plot hole that he didn't get sucked into the traps, but that it's too, like who yeah. cares? Like you know, what <laughs> yeah. like it's fine. He's a good ghost. Like, yeah. You can't get sucked into a trap if you built it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, post credit is it post credits that you get uh, Ernie. Yeah, you get Win- Winston turn out rich. Good, that's amazing. I well, love that. Well, that's a great way to play it because like his whole role is like he's like an employee. That's like the cardinal thing about him, right? And you get a lot of great humor out of like a newcomer to the team in the first movie, like being like, "I gotta get my own lawyer." Like that, that shit. Like you know, he's Winston not- Zedmore didn't own the patents on the containment unit. I don't believe he ever owned Ecto One. Maybe there was that'd be a sink. Yeah. He didn't own PKE meters or proton packs or traps. And yet he turned out the best. It's, in- it's really funny. It's like it's subtly like a very funny like he he basically has a speech. He's hanging out with Janine and he says, you know, more or less hanging out with entrepreneurs made me want to run my own business. And it taught me I could do it. and I didn't need to be afraid of stepping out on my own, which mm. is a really cool way to do the parallels of you know ghost busting and it being a going into business theme the first movie yeah you find out he's been bankrolling ray's bookstore <laughs> and he hasn't turned a profit once um and that he's it's implied that he's gonna um kind of do seed money and keep the ghostbusters yep. see afloat. him walk into the firehouse dust off some stuff and we see the ecto one crossing the brooklyn bridge we play ray parker jr <laughs> this is my hope that this doesn't become a soft reboot rather than a handing of the yeah a handing of the torch because a handing of the torch and the Ghostbusters return to New York, but it's a new generation and it's a new group of people. It doesn't mean the old ones can't be there, but they've had their sentimental heart moment. And let's let's let these guys make a movie to the point where it can stand on its own two legs. Uh, hell, make a franchise, make a TV series. Streaming series can be as good, if not better than some properties, intellectual properties work better. Yeah, a series. I've heard it said recently that Superman works better in TV because people pointed out that every Superman TV show has done well. Yeah. Like literally every one of them has been a big hit. And the movies. Superboy? Well, whatever. That ran five seasons or something. <laughs> I know. I guess so. It just yeah. did well. Like, but, like, but the point is like Superman and Lois is like the best received Superman thing. And, but my point is Ghostbusters is ripe for serialization. Yeah. The show is great. The comics are fun. The video games are fun. It, that's what I mean. It's it, X-Files, man. It's that's like, what it should have been all along, honestly. That's why we all wanted the third Ghostbusters movie, I think. That's it's just, like, that's, well, that's what, that's, I, I've talked about this before, but the, the first Ghostbusters movie goes from zero to 10 there's nowhere else to go they save the world from the apocalypse they're rock stars they're like high-fiving like police chiefs as yeah. they drive so what are they gonna do uh, just another apocalypse it's fundamentally gonna be kind of a retread what you need to do is just put them in a tv show and yeah have them like that's what the ghostbusters cartoon was at its best 
was them going up against like a pretty cool idea for a villain. Like Boogeyman or something. Right, yeah. Yeah. What do you think the plan is at Sony? Do you think they're, let's make another one with, the way it ends, you don't even have to have the kids in the next movie, frankly. Yeah. They no, should. Right. They should. I really would like to see McKenna Grace do another one of these. She's good, but you know they may not want to be attached to the you know the the franchise. Well, that's why you hire the kids. They probably all signed on for three movies. You think? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Why else do you do a movie about t- like the, the new <laughs> Avatar movies doing that? Like the like you yeah, hire but, uh, young yeah. actors so you can make a bunch of them. Yeah, but I, I I don't think the film kind of implies like oh yeah now these teenagers are going to go into business. If McKenna, like, Gra- if McKenna Grace is not in that next one, they fucked up. I know what you mean, but um, she's, the, she's, she's kind of like the best stuff about the movie in terms of it's yeah, but new, she's but just it, like she's too young to be like in like the actual like business if they're going to do a movie where it like becomes a proper. Well, business they, they again. filmed that movie like three or four years ago, so oh, like yeah, she's also true. like she's like a she's like probably seventeen or something now. Yeah, but no, she'll be in college. Yeah, she'll be yeah. in college when they make it. You know what I mean, it'll be extreme Ghostbuster. That team of four is good, but I, I'm not married to it. I'd like to see Ernie Hudson. I, honest to God, do you think like Ernie Hudson's clout is like, is it just us? Or do you think people now kind of like Ernie a lot more than they did 15, 20 years ago? I think it's just his work on Cameo has been so exemplary. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also, he, he's been like Frankie and Gracie. He's been on TV a bunch um, and Netflix as well. Like he's been out there. And like the two times I saw it, like it felt like the theater loved him. You know, I, I feel like if you make another one, you aren't beholden to having to get Bill Murray to come back. No, and I kind of don't. I mean, Bill Murray, I think probably, I mean, Ernie, I think looked the best in in the costume. Out of I, I had the least. Um, oh, he's old now. Reaction, you yeah. know, and um, not that there's anything wrong with like the way they look or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what just, you mean. Yeah, it's just like he felt the most at home. Yeah, I, I got what I wanted out of the end, basically, and. I don't need more Vankman. I don't need more any of them. But I am I am always happy to get more uh, Ernie Hudson in my life. I think if the next movie has like them being bankrolled by Winston and Ray, it it's so hard to like if you write in those guys. They found a way to write them in delicately to this one where they're not really all over the movie. But the next one, if ghost busting is happening again in New York City and the the business is back open for whatever reason. I don't think it needs to be back open. I don't think there's a bunch of spirits all over the place. How is Ray not like a cardinal character? And do you really want to like lean into Dan Aykroyd being like a lead actor? I can see Winston being like in 10% of the movie. I can't see Ray being in 10% of the movie. I have no idea how you would transplant this family and her boyfriend and their uh, Asian child friend all to New York City to run a business while half of them are in school. Um, but I can see Ray's occult bookstore being necessary to solve the mystery. Go to Here. Ray's bookstore and get like a copy of like the Necronomicon or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, that's kind of something I thought was going to be more of an element in this movie. When you, I think you told me that like, oh, Ray's in this movie and he's in the trailer. I kind of assumed like, ooh, Ray kind of figures into the plot specifically. That's perfect. He's the heart of the Ghostbusters. He knows the most about the backstory and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but mostly, no, he just does that one phone call and then he shows up at the end. There's not enough reverence for the original Ghostbusters in this movie. Go back and... <laughs> it's not the reverence, I but I, 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 felt, I felt like... The oh, shepherding, the, like the, the, the Force the, Awakens Well, stuff. yeah, the character of Ray actually would work in this kind of story oh, that they're trying yeah, to tell, yeah. like the old guy who knows a bunch of He's stuff. He's a sweetheart, too. But they don't, they don't take advantage of him. And um, I feel like the negative criticisms about Afterlife, the whole, like, it's too nostalgic or what have you, mm-hmm. would prevent them from making ray like a like a front-running character in the sequel but would you want to see the next movie entertain the idea of like it's ghostbusters chicago and here's four characters who do the they're just people who got the jobs and they're doing it 
or do you want to see Phoebe? You I, know? Yeah, I I really don't know. Like I I'm not very confident that you can make a better movie than this going forward. The TV show is the way to go. Yeah, TV show is yeah. the way. So to Ghostbusters, go. Yeah. Chicago, or whatever. Like yeah, and they're just dealing with like sea serpents and shit, like a haunted cereal factory or something. Like just that's this week's episode. Just do that. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna do it, and they have to do it because Sony really wants to own something other than Spider Man that makes money. Because <laughs> they've now made four Men in Black movies, and two of them were just huge mistakes. I can't believe how poorly Men in Black International did. That movie is like such a lost leader. No one even remembers it, and it had Chris Hemsworth and um, Tessa Thompson in it as the leads. There was a fourth Men in Black movie. Did yeah, you guys ever? I, <laughs> right, I know. Yep. And I, like, those are big actors, but I mean. The biggest actors. But it's Men in Black and yeah. Will Smith and Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee Jones, Jones are still alive. Yep. And they're kind of the only reason anyone gives a shit about those movies. I'm sorry. Honestly. There's yeah. a franchise that failed to pass the torch and failed to <laughs> even create a sec- a continuity, a, conti- or a continuation of let's just do the second movie again. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. The first movie is when Jay gets in. And uh, I don't want to talk about Men in Black anymore. This is a waste of our... Yeah, let's but, but, wrap but, up Ghostbusters. Let, let, me, let me ask you one thing about Men in Black 2. What's better, Men in Black 2 or Ghostbusters 2? Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2. 2. Yeah, all right, good. So here, you hear that, yeah. internet? Your hero, Neil Cicero... <laughs> <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 gets so much shit. It's, it so, gets, well, it's fine. It's yeah. a, I think it's a fun movie. I love Vigo. I love the Bobby. I mean, there's, I think there's a ton of fun stuff in that movie. It's because the bar was set so high. Yeah, but and, no, and then that there was a an good animated of, like, series that really changed the but there was so much more content that came to define the brand beyond the dick joke stuff i was getting at earlier Bingo. yeah Animal house stuff but like, i mean yeah that, we that should have opened with them catching ghosts on the job that probably would have satisfied a lot of the well it's a great complaints. example of like even if you get the original talent the original everyone's like, there everyone and it's only four years later they still couldn't stick the landing with, with ghostbusters uh five two. years later yeah well, oh, big, sorry sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> um yeah but yeah, like that just that just like illustrates how difficult it is to like make a movie like this that's actually uh really effective. And every movie now is kind of just Ghostbusters and most of them are disappointing on some, you know, tactile level. I heard Tony Stark compared to Peter Venkman in multiple reviews of the first Iron Man. I think it's a fair comparison. Sure. Is that us wrapping on talking about Afterlife? As much as none of us have any idea how Sony will handle this intellectual property, uh, I'm kind of tired of giving somebody listening to our podcast uh, some ideas that they can just get without paying us. So final thoughts on the movie in 60 seconds. Neil. Uh, really good movie. I was very drawn into it at you know for, for most of it, and I started to see the problems as it went on. It doesn't uh, take enough advantage of the fact that it's a ghost movie. You can do anything. Ultimately, it just recreates effects and um, things that you saw in the first movie. That is the point of the plot, but you can add a little more variety. No more English. Yeah, you can. You can. It can be its own effects feature, you know, on some level, and it it doesn't it doesn't have much interest in doing that. And um, you know, there's various, uh, you know moments where it kind of falls short of what it is attempting. Sure. Uh, but I, I do really appreciate this movie as a different approach to an old movie um, that it, nobody knows what to do with. The sincerity of it. Yeah, the sincerity of it, I think, is pretty justified and authentic and um, is a good reason for making this movie on top of the one they re- did you know, in 2016. So, Kevin, 60 seconds or less, final thought. Yeah, I, I think Jason Reitman looked at the most potent thoughts about Ghostbusters, which were at the time, oh, Harold Ramis passed away. 
hey, this is a movie about ghosts. And he he made a Jason Reitman movie that, yes, about 60, 70% of the way through the movie when they redo that ritual, you are left thinking, oh, I could use some more fresh ghost busting. But they do give you that great chase scene in the middle. Mm-hmm. If you are the kind of person who gets what Ghostbusters is beyond the the SCTV Animal House, like Caddyshack flavor, if you see more into Ghostbusters beyond that, this movie is all about that. This movie is all about that type of filmmaking. It has a lot of what modern blockbuster movies don't have. It is a passion project film, mm-hmm. and it leans too heavy into the fan service for sure, but not enough to ruin the movie by any stretch. And I'm glad it exists. And if it was the last one, great. Because I think we all assumed we were never going to get the band back together on this one. And they do it. They play it safe in certain respects. They play it very unsafe in one big respect. But the way they play it unsafe, I thought they stuck the landing. I think that's commendable. Like, Egon worked in the movie. Holy shit. They pulled off a CG Harold Ramis. And it worked. No one else has pulled that off. No one else has pulled that off. And in and, and far more sci-fi prone series, even. Right. So good on them. Um, I enjoyed it. It made me tear up twice. So I will probably see it again in about a week. <laughs> <laughs> Final thought. Uh it felt like Ghostbusters. I'm really glad to see them selling toys. Um, because as much <laughs> as I hate capitalism, it means children are playing Ghostbusters. Yeah. They're pretending, they're using their brains, yeah, they're making that they're using their imaginations. Uh, and the thing that makes they're, they're playing Ghostbusters and the thing I love about Ghostbusters, there are many things, but the biggest, the thing that makes you a Ghostbuster, what the hell makes you a Ghostbuster? I ain't afraid of no ghosts. The Ghostbusters handle the scary and they beat them. Mm-hmm. The Ghostbusters are not afraid of ghosts ever. Yeah. Once they learn the ghosts are real, they tackle them and Phoebe show don't tell that she's not afraid of ghosts even when she sees the paranormal is real she dives right in and i want kids pretending playing thinking as ghostbusters be rational yeah yeah like when she when she has the standoff with gozer she looks fucking cool like she like i said it's dragon ball z shit like it's it's cool like to see this like 12 year old kid shooting at it like it's it's cool it's cool it's cool (laughs) to see a big movie do that she yeah. also distracts Gozer by telling bad jokes in one scene. That's great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to contradict you a little, Ryan, the, the Ghostbusters do get scared by the library ghost. That is correct. But that's because they that's before they the Ghostbusters. They haven't incorporated, Neil. They haven't made the LLC uh, yet. Oh, okay. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once they incorporate, they are no longer fearful. Yeah, that's the message of Ghostbusters. <laughs> It'll be real great. Well, friends, you know how we do quizzes sometimes? Yeah. Well, I thought we'd do one this episode, too. I'm sure it's tasteful. It's not. We're going to have a little bit of a seance, so I want you all to hold my hands, okay? (laughs) And we're going to dim the lights and put on a candle or something, and uh, I'm going to channel some spirits and ask you some questions, okay? All right. Spooky music. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we'll alternate. If you get it wrong, it goes to the other person. You know the rules. All right. Oh, I'm I'm getting getting something. something. I died... In 1977, four months after the death of my brother Gummo, in one of my final interviews, I suggested my own epitaph. Excuse me, I can't stand up. But my suggestion was not used. Ryan, am I A. Jim Jones, B. Groucho Marx, or C. Dalton Trumbo? B. Groucho Marx. Correct! (laughs) 
All right. One point to Ryan. <laughs> All right. Um, Kevin, this is for you. Jim Jones. <laughs> I, I added Dal- Dalton Trumbo because the idea of Dalton Trumbo having a brother named Gummo Trumbo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting another spirit. <laughs> uh, I wish they could see this at home. <laughs> After perishing in 2004, I was buried under a gravestone with the epitaph, There Goes the Neighborhood. Was I A. Rodney Dangerfield, B. Fred Rogers, or C. Kurt Vonnegut. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Point to Kevin. These are kind of <laughs> Rogers is also great. Right. All Kurt. three. So, I mean, I also knew it was Rodney, but all three are like solid because they make you think. Yeah, it's kind of hard to. Yeah. SAT prep, like, you know, logic of testing. I knew it wasn't Kurt Vonnegut, but clearly Kurt Vonnegut popped in your head because of back to school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, yeah, they're in a film together. It's him and Oingo Boingo. Yeah. It's a different time. <laughs> oh, wait there. a minute. Oh, I'm, I'm receiving the ghost. It's a special guest ghost. I am Abe Vigoda. When, when did I finally become a ghost, Ryan? Oh. A, 2008, B, 2016, or C, 2020. A Pagoda? I'm going A, 2008. Incorrect. Ah! Kevin. Uh, it's C. 2020? Yeah. Incorrect. No points. It was 2016. 2016. Mere months before the release of Ghostbusters 2016 Answer the Call. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to there Ryan this time. Yeah. Um, no, you started last I time. I did. Yeah, yeah. So we'll start with Kevin. I am the ghost of Jack Lemon. Wait, are you possessed now or what? Uh, you I'm weren't t- doing the thing. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm possessed. possessed. <laughs> uh, it's, it's me, the, the ghost of Jack, Jack Lemon. I passed on in June of 2001. Don't worry. It was June. I didn't see it. <laughs> I died happy. Uh, my gravestone looks like a little title card. The first line says, Jack Lemon. The second line says, In... The third line says, is it A, grumpy old men, B, the odd couple, or C, there is no third line, there's just the dirt he was buried in. Oh, man. It's C, right? Yeah, it's C. It's just Jack Lemon. (laughs) (laughs) Jack Lemon in. That's really? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. It's really funny. Look it up. That's that's in, better than Rodney's. That's like yeah. right here. He wasn't even a comedian. All right. Uh, I, all right, Ryan. I died <laughs> at, at age 89 in June of 1989, just two weeks before the release of Ghostbusters 2. During my funeral possession, a large mob of mourners wanting to touch my body ended up breaking open the coffin and dropping my corpse on the ground. Was I A, Ayatollah Khomeini, B, Pope John Paul I, or C, Lucille Ball. Ayatollah Khomeini. Correct. <laughs> uh, so, gone but not forgotten. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the you're tied, so we have a bonus question. What? Whoever can answer it first wins. All right. True or false? Ghosts are real. False. Oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, the, the correct answer was, it's a trick question no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, you both lose. <laughs> well, that was fun. All right, let's take okay. a quick break. And when we come back, we have some questions from patrons over at guaranteedvideo.com. It'll be real great. 
Uh, yeah, so we have a Patreon, and uh, we, we go over there before we record a podcast and ask our patrons to ask us some questions. Um, so here are some of the questions that we determined would be good questions. Number one, Robert Peterson asks, what is everyone's favorite ghost-related media, movie, game, book, CD, etc.? Uh, Kevin, other than Ghostbusters. Oh, other than Ghostbusters? I should have been prepared for this. Off the top of my head, I enjoy that movie Stir of Echoes a good amount. Um, Kevin Bacon, right? Yeah, not like cool it's cats. not like one of my favorite movies or anything, but it's the hmm. first thing that popped in my head. I like that subgenre of like detective ghost stories, and that's a decent one. What else is like the best ghost stuff? Poltergeist. That's my answer. That's a good one. Yeah, that bad Casper movie from 1995. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, in the better Casper movie where he meets Wendy the witch or whatever. Yeah. Like what? The ca- <laughs> they did a CGI. Really? <laughs> I think it's like a ABC Family movie. It, okay. It's a weird movie. Like the, the, that movie has like Polly Shore in it, I think. <laughs> and um, who played the big bad in the first one in '95? Isn't it uh, um, Michael Palin and someone else? No, not Michael, not Michael Palin. Sorry. Um, uh, the other Python. Uh, Eric Idle is in Eric it. Eric Idle yeah. and not Madeline Kahn, but. We're such good podcasters. <laughs> Why are you talking about Casper? This Kathy is not- Moriarty. Kathy Moriarty. Okay. Kathy Moriarty comes back for one of the director video sequels as an evil witch. That's unfortunate. Cool. Different character. So I don't know, Ryan. What do you got for a good ghost thing? I'm going with the remake of House on Haunted Hill, where Jeffrey Rush is Vincent Price's character. That's a guilty pleasure movie if I ever heard one. Chris Kattan yeah. is in it. Did you hear I, what I just said? Okay, this Chris re- Kattan. This remake keeps coming up in my life. Allie Larder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The actress who portrays Zool in the original Ghostbusters is in it. Yeah, that's huh. right. That's As right. As a ghoul. Yeah. <laughs> Zool ghoul. All right. That's the end of my answer. Uh, Poltergeist, I think, was a big influence on the original Ghostbusters in terms of how the special effects look and oh, yeah. the use of parapsychology. Um, and, uh, I mean, Dan Aykroyd definitely watched it. His buddy Spielberg ghost directed it. Ghost directed it. Ah! If you look into, um, some of the early promotional photography shoots done for Ghostbusters 84, there was a photo shoot that's Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis in their proton packs, mm-hmm. aiming their guns at a little like blonde girl who, uh, you don't see her face, but it's clearly supposed to be a poltergeist joke. Oh, that's like, funny. They're, they're, they're all thinking about marketing it as, hey, remember those like scientists that failed in poltergeist? Well, now we got the professionals. We got the real deal, the, the good ones. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, question two uh, from someone named ITV. So they asked, what are all of your thoughts on YouTube's removal of public dislike counts for all videos? I don't like it. Not a fan. I yeah. often need YouTube or cite YouTube for educational reference material on how to use certain plugins or how to achieve certain things in Premiere or After Effects, like, oh, how do I do this in Photoshop or how do I do this in Illustrator? And the way you can weed out if a video is actually helpful is when you click the damn thing and the dislike ratio is like 80%. You're like, this is crap. Yeah, I actually have a a plugin in Chrome that like puts a little little meter under the icon, like on all the uh, suggested videos and everything. So you know before you click whether it's clickbait. I love that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've said for longer than I can remember now that Facebook could have like done a lot for civilization and democracy <laughs> if they had a thumbs down button so that the the vast majority of people who silently roll their eyes and peruse past your awful content, your damaging content, go, you're in the wrong. Don't do it. If you got if you get enough thumbs down in content in avenues like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if you got the same type of thumbs down negative feedback as you do either only positive or neutral, 
Um, and removing that from YouTube is just adding to a really bad form of discourse. Yeah. I sound like kind of like a bitter old stand-up comedian, but having nothing but positive affirmation yeah, like yeah. against everything, have, having a shame-free discourse about everything on the internet is only going to make the world worse. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you are enabling bad people by saying everything's okay. I'm, See, I'm, look, the I'm, meter I'm, only yeah. goes up. The meter never goes down. Like, I'm guessing people were just abusing it too much. Too many brigading, you know. No, it's like because stuff. YouTube and Google are advertising enterprises. Uh, so you think commercials were getting disliked? I think they're like, hey, you're making us look bad. Like yeah. you always hear like this movie trailer. Hey, Ghostbusters. Hey, this movie trailer has like the most dislikes ever. Like, like th that happens all the time with like video game trailers now and stuff too. And I think enough Google just sat down and thought long and hard and said, well, Facebook got rid of like negative reaction buttons mm -hmm. and things like that. Twitter never had them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's overwhelmingly negative. Yeah. Sorry to sound too bitter. I just, I think it's a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea. Nathaniel Rohr asks, does Ryan dislike Kurt Russell <laughs> in general or just Captain Ron? Now he's not asking you. He's asking does Ryan dislike? So this is a general question. <laughs> I am open. I am open to a group. Uh, yes. is yeah. important. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that Ryan, vote. Ryan dislikes Kurt Russell. No, okay. I like. Well, I I'm do right. like Kurt Russell. I know, I'm joking. But go on. No, <laughs> no. You you go ahead. Yeah. Uh, do I like Kurt Russell? I most certainly do. I've seen him in some wonderful productions. Um, it's weird that Hideo Kojima created so much of his entire body of work based on <laughs> a weird fan. I'm not going to say fetish, but like crush. That actually sounds worse. <laughs> and yeah, snake. There's yeah. so much, so much has been produced. I, I love that Kurt Russell is almost certainly a very good person because when he broke that uh, ancient guitar from the Smithsonian, not knowing that it was on loan from the Smithsonian for the Hateful Eight, that he felt bad about it because he can't, it's irreplaceable. No, he was just worried he was going to get a curse. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Now uh, I can't play music oh, anymore. Oh man, who am I going to call? I and I will not expand at this time because I think we could do a whole podcast about Captain why Catmaron fucking sucks and the reasons it sucks are very very uh they're demonstrative of what was wrong with the culture at the time Kurt Russelling being told to over Kurt Russell overboard had come out by then and overboard's yep. kind of I mean it's got a boat but it's a <laughs> You know what I mean? But we he's gotta got to get like, this guy on more boats. But he's like, he was like kind of playing those characters that like talked and acted like Al Bundy, but he looked like an Adonis. Like he had like a six pack. He was in really good shape, had a great head of hair. But all he wanted to do was like drink beer and be a misogynist, right? That was kind of like where pop culture was taking Kurt Russell in yeah. all his roles. Is Captain Ron kind of the end of that era? I guess. So. It's I guess. weird to define what the, it. For those who don't know, Captain Ron is like 92 or 3 or something like mm -hmm. that. And it's him and Martin Short. Yes, Martin okay. Short. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> well, you just looked it up. You know how. I never um, watched Captain Ron. Again, I won't expand on this answer very much other than uh, to quote the great LeVar Burton don't take my word for it. Read the book. <laughs> There's no fucking book. Read the Watch the movie. Uh, all right. Question from Nat. What is the worst movie that you have ever seen that you hoped would be good? Uh, Batman versus Superman. That's a good answer. Dawn of Justice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I... God. We could also do a whole podcast, some people have, of why Batman v Superman is the most polite, the kindest review I could think of is it is somehow less than the sum of its parts. It really is. It's a movie that, that makes you angry after I walked out of the theater. You were with me, Ryan. I yep. was like visibly angry. Like, why did this get made like level? 
Like, how could you be so tone deaf? I've I'm, gone I'm, on YouTube I'm, and yeah. watched individual scenes and went, that was really good. Yeah. Why are they put together? Literally, it's the worse than the sum of its parts. We could do hours on just, yeah. I could do hours on just Jesse Eisenberg's direction in that movie being, he clearly could have done it right. I'm At this point, I'm rambling, but I'm also trying to buy you two time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Neil, trying to think. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not drawing that you know, level of disappointment. I usually... Um, well, if you need 90 seconds, The Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> oh, yeah. The That's Matrix... Three? Yes. Yeah. The Matrix made about 1.3 good movies. And <laughs> after the, after That's Matrix fair. Reloaded, they had a weird part of the middle of a trilogy that did a lot of just exposition and setting up, expanding the universe. Yeah. So how you tie this knot and wrap it up defines everything. Because if the third one is bad it makes the flaws of the second one worse and it was it was the, they there's so many ways matrix lore could be expanded i am optimistic of the future cautiously optimistic of the future because the matrix has so much more potential than a lot of franchises do neil have you thought of anything <laughs> I, I was actually already thinking of a different wachowski film oh. which oh, no. which uh jupiter. i what jupiter jupiter ascending i thought would be bad but in a really entertaining way yeah and I did not enjoy it on that level. I, I just thought it was just kind of bad. There was a couple parts that were funny that I still make fun of. But yeah, I mean, like the Wachowski sister, sisters, I feel like at that point, I, I, I saw them as as like uh, the kind of filmmakers who will make movies that are are like not very like actually intelligent, but they think they're intelligent and they have like all the spirit of like uh, middle schoolers, you know, like comics you know like speed racer is freaking great exactly speed racer and dead is pretty damn good right the The first matrix is awesome like yeah yeah, they they have that like spirit of like wouldn't it be so cool to see this happen in a movie this would happen yeah like it's just like yeah like they 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 usually get it and i thought jupiter ascending would be like that a better b movie like the city of a thousand worlds is that the sir title what is jupiter ascending about jupiter ascending it's about um what's her name mila kunis mila kunis I had, I had heard it. The description of the movie was that she played a janitor. Um, no, she's on a cleaning team. She's like a cleaning lady. But in my mental, I thought she was like pushing a mop like in a school or something. Like I was imagining like a janitor gets sucked up into this like space adventure, you know? And um, Like the Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, I thought it was something like that or like yeah. Space Quest or something. And then, <laughs> and then um, uh, I, I knew it was bad and... I liked. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really describing what I was hoping I was for and what of, it ended up being. It's called like Valyria in the city of a thousand. That's a, a different planet one. of a thousand cities, city of a thousand. But yeah, I also I did not see that either. There was a brief. Uh, there was a few years where we were getting a lot of like kind of uh, original sci-fi, like big original sci-fi movies that weren't um, adaptations of other things or weren't like sequels or remakes of well-known movies specifically. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending was kind of like the end of that era. It was a $180 million movie too. Oh God, yeah. And I, yeah, I think I, I saw the trailer. It didn't look good, but I was kind of hoping like at least it'll be like funny and fun in a speed racer way. And it wasn't even that. That sucks. Yeah. Well, I look, f- I have a positive, a positive cautiously optimistic for the future of the Wachowskis and all their IPs. New Matrix movie coming out soon. Oh, really? <laughs> soon. Yeah. Sinead asks, very important question, what is the best breakfast food? Birds. Birds. Next question. All right. Frank Zippy, which is Frank Zappa with the vowels replaced with eyes, all right. uh, ha- asks, have you each 
had any dream collaborations in mind for your sketches or short films? This could be a director, actor, writer, musician, etc. I have always wanted to direct Toby Huss. I think um, yeah. that would be an interesting cocktail. Uh, Toby Huss is a fantastic actor. He has never disappointed me. I really want to see Cop Shop. I've heard great things about that movie. He was in that uh, very limited release a couple months ago. It was out when you and I saw Candyman, Ryan. Um, and I really wanted to see that. But yeah, Toby Huss um, seems like a consummate professional. He isn't afraid to go far. Uh, for those at home who are unfamiliar with Toby Huss, you uh, might remember him as Artie, the strongest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. He's also been like, what was he in Halt and Catch Fire? I think. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was. He did a bunch of voices on King of the Hill. He was in that Rami Malek movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he just always delivers the goods. He was even good in that. Um, that not the most recent Halloween movie, but the previous Halloween movie. He was in that. Um, as like a bit part, he played like a stepdad or a father-in-law. But yes, I would love to work with Toby Huss. Um, I tweeted that once, and he uh, replied to the tweet with like "Reach for the stars, kid" or something. Like that. <laughs> so that is a he's probably like, "Wow, that's an achievable dream right there." <laughs> um, yeah, how about you, Ryan? I would love to make fun of James Taylor. I think that that's really attainable to because he's oh uh, well in the context of like if we got access to the guy who regularly spends his time here in massachusetts um that he's always presented either on stage or an interview in a very dignified way and i thought he also he just has a look of a guy that we funny to look pathetic um and i don't mean like just pies <laughs> in his face i didn't mean like yeah the, again he's always presented in a context because he's not a comedian he's not but i think he could be really funny as that yeah it's just sort of like, I don't know, he's stuck out in the rain or like nobody respects him or nobody likes him. <laughs> yeah. A bus drives by and like the water in a puddle splashes up on poor old James Taylor. Exactly. <laughs> and it's Paul Simon driving. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of like, I'd love to get like a cameo from someone like Jeff Corwin or just like some like TV personality who was just all over the place for a while. I don't yeah. know. Like, like, like who's like Rachel Ray. Rachel, yeah, sure, or Alton Brown or something. (laughs) It'll be real great. Man, this was a fun conversation about Ghostbusters Afterlife and other things. We haven't podcasted in a while. Uh, Hopefully we get to do more of these in the near future. Uh, We do have a clever trick up our sleeve that should make podcasting easier. I bought a house, and I'm building a studio in it. That should hopefully help. Well, la dee da. <laughs> it's got a 500 square foot studio, and I'm renovating it right no, now. Yeah, it is very cool. You found this house, and uh, it had this attached garage that's got a very tall ceiling. It's like it's like a barn. Kind yeah, of. it's kind of a barn. And we're like, wow, this would be. It was kind of a Ghostbusters moment of like, hey, does this still work? Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll be fun to set up shop in there, and hopefully, we can get some podcasts out. Yeah, we're thinking about doing more on camera podcasts there and use it for video shoots too. Uh, we have some scripts we hopefully will make in the future. And none of you people get to see or hear anything from Kevin's house unless you're a patron. <laughs> so go to guaranteedvideo.com slash Kevin's mortgage. <laughs> go to C colon backslash my documents. You ain't looking at one shingle. All right. <laughs> one shingle. Uh, where can everybody who listened to this fine podcast? Uh, it's guaranteedaudio.com. Yeah, yeah. Podcast. But I mean about us specifically. I know, Ryan, you're a big Instagrammer. What's uh, your handle there? Uh, Vicious516 on Instagram. I go by 
the only Kevin James on Twitter. The only Kevin James. And I'm on Twitter as well, but I've been on a general sabbatical for a while. But I, uh, I'm Neil CIC. <laughs> I'm wrong. My handle isn't the only Kevin James. This explains so many problems I've had. It's Kevin the James at Instagram <laughs> uh, on, uh, on Twitter. Well, this was a fun episode. I'm clearly running out of steam and need some caffeine. <laughs> well, to all the folks at home, thank you for listening. And until uh, they make another Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> oh, they will. Yeah, we'll podcast in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Ghostbusters f- 5, the return of podcast coming soon. <laughs> hey, that yeah. works on two levels. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. See you later. It'll be real great. I hit the wrong button. Ghostbusters.